Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You know what it is, episode 116, for the love of the game, back at it with a lot of flavor, a lot of sauce, let's roll. Yeah. Welcome to Atlanta, jacking hammers and bows. Back to the mackin' and jacking the clothes. Adolescents packing the foes. A knock on the door. Who is it? I would happen to know the one with the flow. Who did it? It was me, I suppose. JD in the rolls and looters in the cut supreme. Skating down old Nat, tucked and lean. I split your spleen. As a matter of fact, I split your team. No blood on the sneaks. Gotta keep it so my kicks is clean. I get the cream. Cops see me flick my beans. I'm allergic to doc prescribed antihistamines. Oink, oink, pig, pig. Do away with the pork. Only silver I need a steak knife and a did you forget your manners? I'm Bruce with banners. Ludacris, Johnny... Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. It is your man's ATH back behind the mic, back in the lab. And boy, oh boy, is there a lot to talk about. We're talking strictly NBA tonight. NBA playoffs are in full swing and held out for a couple of days. I was away last week, held out for a couple of days. And man, I'm happy I did because... This podcast would have sounded a whole lot different, a whole, whole lot different had I done it five days ago, but we're here right now. We're here. So as you probably just heard, the intro song, Welcome to Atlanta by Jermaine Dupree and Ludacris was the obvious choice. Why? Because the Atlanta Hawks, yes, the Atlanta Hawks are in the Eastern Conference Finals. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. They have made me look Really, really dumb, all right? I thought the Knicks were going to beat him in the first round. Part of that was because my exuberance over the Knicks season, and part of that is because I, I still don't trust the entire team, but we'll start with Atlanta right now. So Trey Young has made a fool out of me. He's made a fool out of me. I was on record saying that I think he was never going to win at a high level. I never thought a team centered around Trey Young would ever win significant games, significant playoff games. And here we are. Here we are. He's in the conference finals. He's already snatched a little part of my soul, right? That part of my soul that he buried in Section 210 of Madison Square Garden. That already happened. And now he snatched the souls of the Philadelphia 76ers and their fan base. So let's recap a little bit what happened after going down two games to one. Atlanta wins game four at home. So now we're 2-2. And Philadelphia is back at home. This is the number one seed. Game five, they go up 25 points. This is a night after the Milwaukee Bucks blew game five in Brooklyn being up 18 points. So we'll get to that series later. but. Milwaukee blew that game in embarrassing fashion. It was a disgusting display of basketball by the Milwaukee Bucks that night. And the Philadelphia Sixers basically said, we can outdo the embarrassment that the Milwaukee Bucks did in game five, and we'll do it bigger because they were at home. And no, they didn't play against Kevin Durant, who had one of the greatest games in NBA playoff history. They played against a young team that Doesn't have an all-star this year. Certainly not a top three player in the league. And they blow a 25-point lead at home in the second half. 
unbelievable. And Trey Young, as Ryan Rosillo said a couple of times on his podcast most recently, was the toughest guy in that series. He's no more than 5'11". He's my height. 5'11". Slender. He's been called soft his entire life. And he was the toughest guy in that series. Mentally tough. He was never, ever scared. So they come back in game five and win a game in Philadelphia. You got to be feeling good if you're Atlanta going back home for game six. Embiid has a monster game. Philadelphia comes out on top. Tobias Harris played well after being absolutely dog shit. Two for 11 with four points in game five. Yeah, he's making $35 million. But he showed up in game six. So that sets the scene for game seven. The best phrase in all sports, the best two words in all sports, game seven, all right? So now we're back home. You're thinking Philadelphia, the number one seed, they have the best player in the series, you would think. I know he's a little hobbled. Joel Embiid, he has a slight tear in the meniscus. But you would think that the Sixers would close it out. But no. No, they did not. And a couple of things happened. And Trey Young, as I was just giving him major props, right? He had a dreadful first half. He started off one for his first 12. And even with all that, and Bogdan Bogdanovich, you know, the star shooting guard who's been awesome in the playoffs. He killed the Knicks and he was killing Philly and he's hobbled. And with those two things, he's not right. Trey Young's shooting one for 12. And the Sixers are only up like one at the half. And you, as a Sixers fan, have to be thinking, well, this is, this is really bad, right? How are we not up more? I mean, Gallinari had a good half. I still don't trust him, but whatever. He had a good half. John Collins is making shots. Kevin Herter, Red Velvet, and we'll get to him in a second. Red Velvet was having the game of his life. And in the second half, Late in the game, specifically, Trey Young starts making shots, and he's cooking. Tobias Harris is short-arming layups. Garbage. Ben Simmons is MIA, and that's a theme, and we'll get to Ben Simmons in a second. I have some thoughts on Ben Simmons. And the Atlanta Falcons go on the road in a game seven and take it to the number one seed and win game seven. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I never would have thought that this was going to happen going into the series, going into the playoffs, I should say. I wanted the Knicks to play the Hawks. Well, it turns out that the Hawks have something going right now. They really have something going. And you can talk about Bogdanovich and how good he's been. You can talk about the supporting cast. You can talk about Capella all you want. But that pales into, in comparison to what's going on with Trey Young. All right. I've criticized Trey Young about being a low IQ player, somebody who is just about his numbers. And that was exceedingly valid at the time because last year the Atlanta Hawks were terrible and he was getting crazy stats, right? Things came out this year. You know, I think the Athletic had that piece that John Collins was pissed off about how much Trey Young was dominating the ball, how the offense wasn't flowing, that it was all about Trey all the time. So there was smoke to this, right? There was reason to be down on Trey Young. And then all of a sudden, Nate McMillan comes in, Bogdanovich comes back from injury, and Trey Young 
turns into something completely different. A guy who's making all the right reads. Yeah, there are one or two bad shots, but he's making all the right reads. Whether it's shot selection on the floater game, being selective with his three-point shot, which his three-point shot's a little overrated, which is something I was harping on with the Knicks, that when they were guarding him, they should go under the screen a little bit and let him take 29-footers, fine. But be that as it may, he's getting to his spot. He's controlling the entire thing. The float game's working. The lob game's working. He's seeing guys a couple of steps ahead, passing guys open, and he's turning into like what we wanted Steve Nash to be like in terms of how much he's shooting versus how much he's getting teammates involved. We always wanted Nash to shoot more because he was such a great shooter, right? But this IQ stuff that Trey Young's got going on right now is Nashy. It's Nashian and unbelievable, unbelievable. He is making me eat a ton of crow right now. A ton of crow. Can't stress that enough. I, one of my brands on this show was being anti-James Harden, anti-Kyrie Irving, anti-LeBron James, anti-Trey Young, okay? Trey Young's making a fool out of me right now. Nothing else I could say. Nothing else I could say but to give the man his props. And he was the most mentally tough player in that series. Even when he wasn't having good shooting games, and especially in game seven, he still had the confidence to, that he was going to pull it out and make all the big plays to pull out a game seven on the road. That is big boy stuff, big time stuff. So shout out to Trey Young. Incredible, an incredible stretch he's on. If he's going to be this kind of guy, you have to think of him completely different now. You got to think of him in a completely different vein. Now, it can go one of two ways, right? We've seen a guy like Jamal Murray elevate his play in the playoffs and be a completely different guy in the playoffs, as you saw in last year's bubble, and then go back to being exceedingly inconsistent in the regular season. Like my guy Ryan Rosillo would say, a 30 or 13 guy. Either he's going to get 13 points or he's going to get 30 points. It can Trey Young can be like that, or Trey Young can be evolving into Steve Nash 2.0. The conversation has to be had. The conversation has to be had. You have to right now think of Trey Young's place in the league differently. You have to because the sample size is not just the playoffs now, it's the crescendo to the playoffs. And now they're in the Eastern Conference Finals. An unbelievable run by him. His chemistry with Capella is great. And shout out to Kevin Herter. Red Velvet, the best nickname in the NBA by far, had the game of his life when Bogdanovich was hurt. Nate McMillan put him into the starting lineup, and he's been incredibly good in the starting lineup. It has unlocked parts of his game where he's way better in, as a starter than he's been off the bench. This, it, it wasn't just the shot making. Yeah, he made a bunch of shots, shot the ball great from three. But it's the secondary ball handling, the secondary creation that when he's playing with the starters and starters minutes, you see the maturation. And it's an exceedingly sophisticated brand of basketball that he's playing that guys that age don't normally have. And he's six sevens, got great size, solid on defense. And he was fantastic last night fantastic and by the way for those who are on twitter 
and follow NBA Twitter. The Kevin Herter Twitter memes and the Twitter content that came out in the last 12 hours has been some of the best and funniest content on Twitter in the history of Twitter. So I implore you to just do a little searching. I shared some on my Instagram, one of the funniest memes I've ever seen. I almost shat my pants. I was laughing so hard when I saw it. Just, I mean, the memes involve Rick Ashley and the Rick Roll, which never fails, always funny. And then there was a meme involving Road Trip. For those who know, you know, you'll, you'll get why it's hysterical. But yeah, so shout out to the Atlanta Hawks. Making a fool out of me. Exceeding all expectations. I mean, Nate McMillan had never won a playoff series as a coach up until this year. So there was reason to doubt the Hawks, right? There were multiple reasons to doubt the Hawks, but here we are. Here we are. They are in the conference finals set to play against the Milwaukee Bucks. The series starts Wednesday night. I'm excited for the series. And as for the team that blew, the Philadelphia 76ers. Oh, boy, things are going to have to change. So basically, the process, as we know it, is dead, all right, is dead. I know the numbers and the plus-minus look at the Ben Simmons-Joel Embiid combo that they were plus a lot during this series. I mean, the Sixers had multiple games of being up 20 points. So they were the better team, and they just choked. But anybody with eyes who watches these games knows that the Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid thing has run its course. It can no longer be a thing. And that means that Ben Simmons has to go. Has to, has to go. He took zero shot attempts in the last four fourth quarters. Zero shot attempts. He was dreadful from the free throw line, all series. And as a result, took no shot attempts. None. None. This was a guy who was in consideration for Defensive Player of the Year. I actually thought he should have won Defensive Player of the Year over Rudy Gobert. We'll get to Rudy Gobert in a little bit because I feel exceedingly validated about my Rudy Gobert takes. I've been wrong a lot, and I'm going to admit that a lot, but I was not wrong about Rudy Gobert. But anyway, Ben Simmons. So not only was he a zero on offense, he was getting absolutely torched on defense. Yeah, he had a good defensive game in game two. But this was a guy who was going to be the centerpiece asset in a James Harden trade. And I, for one, I was against trading Ben Simmons for James Harden. I thought that his versatility as a defender was too much to pass up if they were going to be playing potentially the Lakers in the finals, whether they're going to have to go against Giannis. I thought having a guy like that uh, on your roster to guard those guys was exceedingly important. But I couldn't have foreseen that he'd be an absolute nothing on offense. Absolutely nothing. And he was frightened, petrified. I mean, he passed up an open dunk last night because he didn't want to get fouled. An open dunk. Like, dude. Dunk the ball. Passes it up to Matisse Thibel, who gets fouled, right? Matisse Thibel makes one out of two. I mean, just embarrassing and embarrassing. And then the quotes that come out later today about 
Ben Simmons talking with Doc Rivers, admitting that he has to work on his game. Like, where were you the last two fucking summers, dude? The same issues have been there for a long time. And as we've seen, playoff basketball is a whole lot different than regular season basketball. He can get away with not shooting, with being reluctant to shoot in the regular season because teams aren't scheming against the same team for multiple games at a time, right? You know, the the effort level is a little ratcheted up in the playoffs, to say the least. But Ben Simmons, where were you the last two summers? You've been in the league now. You're in the first year of your max extension after your rookie deal. You haven't gotten a single iota better, maybe on defense, but on offense, he hasn't gotten better since his rookie year. All of a sudden, now it's time to work on your game in the offseason. Get lost, dude. Get lost. I mean, I don't know where the Philadelphia 76ers do with Ben Simmons, where they can trade him. I mean, he was an all-NBA caliber talent who has absolutely no trade value now. Where is he going to go? Would you trade him? Would Golden State consider getting off of Draymond Green and going younger with Ben Simmons to play the same type of role? I don't think Ben Simmons is as good as Draymond Green right now. He's not as good of a defender. And I don't think he's as good of a passer. And I'm not sure he's as good of a shooter. Actually, I know he's not a great, as good of a shooter. And Draymond Green is not what I would consider a stellar shooter. So I don't see that happening. The idea of a C.J. McCollum for Ben Simmons trade, Portland would hang up the phone. They would hang up the phone immediately. That's not going to be there. Would you trade him to Houston for, for say, like a Christian Wood or something? Why would Houston do that? I, I just, I, I can't believe what's happened to the guy. And I was a Ben Simmons defender. And maybe he just needs to go to a team that is bad and he's the center of the universe for them and rebuild, rebuild his confidence and rebuild his value. But running it back with the Sixers is not an option. It's not an option. I mean, the fact that Seth Curry was their second best offensive player by far is a problem. If Seth Curry is your third or fourth best offensive player, you have something depending on who your two is or who you th- your three is. But running pick and roll with Seth Curry and expecting him to operate one-on-one to get you buckets when teams are bogging down the paint, not letting Embiid go wild, and he still had a monster series, Embiid. He was still great. He was playing on a tournament because he was still excellent. There was nothing else that he could do. I mean, you can nitpick here or there, but other than that, he came to play. Ben Simmons, where are you at, dude? Where are you at? I'll tell you where you're going to be at. Your ass is going to be out of Philly, and Philly's probably going to get 25 cents on the dollar for whatever that dollar is worth. And I think that dollar is exceedingly inflated. Exceedingly inflated. I I just, I, I couldn't believe what I saw out of Ben Simmons. Couldn't believe what I saw out of Ben Simmons. And I've defended him over Brandon Ingram. I, I still, I mean, I don't know anymore. I don't know anymore about Ben Simmons. But his ass has got to be gone. As for the other guy who's going to take a lot of the heat for Philly collapsing is Doc Rivers. And Doc Rivers being so reluctant to change. And we've seen this with coaches before. Mike Budenholzer, we'll get to him in a second, is like this. Tom Thibodeau, to a degree, is like this. 
But when you're in a seven-game series and you see after, like, game four, when Ben Simmons is a non-entity in the fourth quarter, like, at a certain point, you can't play him. You can't play him. And Doc's refusal to put Ben Simmons on the bench was, was really part of the downfall of this series. Doc Rivers coached an embarrassingly bad series. Embarrassingly bad. And yes, sometimes there are some games where you get a big lead, you take your foot off the gas a little bit, things snowball, and then all of a sudden, that's it, right? But that happened twice, twice in this series. And they blew a game on their home court in game seven. Like, how much more do we have to see out of Doc Rivers to know that he's not a good coach in the playoffs? I mean, since 2010, when he made the finals with the Celtics, right? And he should always get credit for coaching that team. But since he's had Kevin Garnett, he's responsible for some of the biggest collapses in playoff history. It was the Chris Paul-led Clippers against the Rockets when James Harden was so checked out that his ass was on the bench and Josh Smith brought back the Rockets in that game. Blew a 3-1 series then. Then last year, in the bubble, blew a 3-1 series with the Clippers where Paul George had the pandemic P nickname. That's where that came from, a disgusting display of basketball by Doc Rivers then. And then this year, how much more? How much more do we need to see for Doc Rivers? That it, It's just... It's not a thing, and I, I don't want to spend other people's money. I don't, all right? I don't. But if I'm the owner of the Philadelphia 76ers, I know I just signed Doc Rivers to a big deal. I fire his ass tomorrow. Rick Carlisle's out there. He's available. I fire Doc Rivers tomorrow. It's just done. It's done. And honestly, I don't think that Doc Rivers should be a coach in the league anymore. It's done. It's finished. Man, Philadelphia is exceedingly embarrassing. I picked them to go to the finals. I, I was all in on the MB thing, and I know he was hobbled, but, man, his teammates did not help him out, besides for Seth Curry. And Thibault had moments on defense. Just, just a pathetic, pathetic, embarrassing display by the Philadelphia 76ers. So that's that series. It'll be interesting what they do in the offseason, but I'll tell you what. Philly fans, if you don't see change, I mean, they're going to have a freaking riot if there's no change in Philadelphia. No change. And and uh, we'll see. We'll see if they can pull the trigger or something, get super creative. Daryl Morey likes to move pieces, but he's got his word cut out for him now. But for those who are slandering Joel Embiid this morning, I mean, know what you're watching here, right? Like, know what you're watching. I know he had a bunch of turnovers, but they're giving him the ball at the top of the key. They're asking him to be the primary facilitator and the primary scorer. So, yeah, he's going to turn the ball over. All right? Seth Curry was their second best player. This isn't on Joel Embiid. This isn't on Joel Embiid. One iota. This is on Ben Simmons. This is on Tobias Harris, who gets alligator arms in big games. And it's on Doc Rivers. Un unbelievable, unbelievably embarrassing for Philadelphia. You, you can't put it uh, any more succinctly than that. So on to the next series. We're going we're gonna to bookend this monologue. We'll do the um, other Eastern Conference series, the Nets and the Bucks last. So now let's move to Denver and Phoenix. 
Well, Phoenix took care of business real quick, swept Denver 4-0, and the loss of Jamal Murray was too much for Denver to overcome. Michael Porter Jr. was hobbled with the bad back. They just didn't have the horses, and Phoenix took advantage. And Chris Paul was absolutely sensational in that series. I know he's in the COVID protocol right now, which is crazy because, like, the bad luck of Chris Paul continues. But he was sensational. Devin Booker was sensational. But, yeah, as for the Denver Nuggets, it was really Jokic and, and the Jokicets. And Jokic was tremendous. I mean, in game three, First game at home, he had a 30, 20, and 10 triple-double, and they still lost. Not much more you can do if you're Nikola Jokic, and he cemented why he was the MVP this year. Played all 72 games, was absolutely deserving, is one of the five or six best players in the league at this point. Just a tremendous, tremendous player, so can't pin it on Jokic. But as for the Phoenix Suns, I just talked about the Atlanta Hawks and having to eat crow. Well, the Phoenix Suns have a couple of guys on that team that I have to eat crow. So a couple of thoughts on the Phoenix Suns. We'll start with the first guy I got to eat crow on, Devin Booker. Devin Booker was another guy who I thought was an empty calorie stats, big stats, bad team guy. I mean, in fairness, Phoenix was horrific his first couple of years in the league, and they got that BS bubble invite for, for revenue purposes only. But then they went 8 0 in the bubble. And things started to change. And Booker played an exceedingly, exceedingly sophisticated brand of offensive basketball in terms of picking his spots, in terms of playmaking, the full array of shots that he has at, in the mid range, a little bit from three. He hasn't shot a lot of threes and he's capable, but he hasn't done it. But the mid range is just, I mean, what a talent. And Trey Young is making me look really dumb. Devin Booker's looking making me look really, really dumb right now. What can you say? He was great against Denver. And then in game one against the Clippers yesterday, he had a 40-point triple-double. Let the game come to him in the first half, getting teammates involved, and then stepping on, you know, stepping on the gas in the second half in the third quarter, scoring 18 straight, just getting buckets on every spot of the court. Mid-range assassin, couple of threes, going to the rim, passing guys open. I mean, the offensive sophistication that he has, I didn't see coming. I didn't. I missed it. I missed it. I'm wrong sometimes. I'm wrong sometimes. I, was, I may be wrong about Trey Young. I was definitely wrong about Devin Booker. He's been sensational. And the fact that he wasn't All-NBA this year is a joke. Kyrie Irving was picked over... Devin Booker for third-team All-NBA. Kyrie Irving's crazy ass who's undependable was picked over Devin Booker who's been doing it all year and not taking personal days. What a joke that was. Absolutely pitiful, pitiful by the voters. So, yeah, Devin Booker, mad props to you. I thought you were exceedingly soft when you were complaining about a double team in a pickup run, in an open-court run. I thought that was... Soft as baby shit. But man, he's making me eat my words. Unbelievable. The guy is unbelievable. And you got to start talking about him. And I know the top echelon of this league, of the NBA right now, is as talented as ever. And he's not going to crack the top 10 just yet in terms of players in the league. 
But spots 11 through 15, he's, he's got to be. And I haven't done my rankings in a while. Maybe I'll do them a little bit before next episode. But he's got to be in that conversation. You can't tell me that definitively there, that there are 15 better players in the NBA right now than Devin Booker. You can't. Can't do it. Can't do it. Another guy on Phoenix who's making me eat crow. DeAndre Ayton. I thought Marvin Bagley was going to have a better career than DeAndre Ayton. That takes not aging very well either. I'm still bullish on Bagley if he can ever be healthy and he can get out of Sacramento. But DeAndre Ayton has turned all the haters into believers. His sophistication on defense has improved a tremendous amount. I mean, he did an exceedingly admirable job on Jokic, and he's not going to stop Jokic. Jokic is the MVP of the league, but he did a really good job on Jokic. He's earned the trust of Chris Paul and Devin Booker. His offensive game, he knows that, you know, it's not all going to be post-ups. He can do a little something in the post. He's kind of gone away from his turnaround fadeaway, and knowing that he's a big, imposing guy, jump hooks over both shoulders, and just being a rim runner, being a rim runner and being physical around the rim. And he's been great. He's been great for them. And the Clippers, who basically played Rudy Gobert off the floor, going small, couldn't do that against Aiton. Couldn't do that against Aiton because Aiton is a threat on offense. And he had a great game. He had like 18 and 11. He shot like 10 for 14. He had a great game. And he can do even more. He can feast if Nicholas Batum is going to be guarding him, something that Rudy Gobert can't say. Again, well, I'll get to trashing Rudy Gobert in a little bit, but Aiton's been a revelation, been a revelation for the Suns, and I, I hope it continues. I hope it continues. And shout out to Jay Crowder, a guy who's been on like every single team. Yeah, he's a streaky shooter. Yeah, he takes some bad three-pointers. But haven't you noticed that he's always on winning teams? Haven't you noticed that he's always contributing to winning, whether it's this year with the Suns, last year with the Miami Heat and went to the finals? He was a big reason why. You don't think the Miami Heat could have used him this year? Jay Crowder. Every team needs to have guys like that. And for Phoenix, they have guys like that. Jay Crowder and Mikhail Bridges, who's been incredible. Unbelievable. The guy's going to make $25 million a year in his next contract. And he's worth it. He's worth it. He's an incredible 3 and D guy who can put the ball on the floor a little bit. And, and shout out to the Knicks 2017 draft. With the number nine pick, they take Kevin Knox over Mikael Bridges, over Shea Gilgis-Alexander, over Miles Bridges, over Michael Porter Jr. Just a horrific, a horrific picture if you look at the draft results from that year but yeah the phoenix suns man the phoenix suns are on some type of roll right now and i think they're going to the finals i think they're going to the finals i was scared to pick them in the first round against the lakers because i saw that one game that anthony davis destroyed the suns even without lebron and i got a little nervous lebron had never lost in the first round before but i'm so happy that they disposed of the lakers Ugh. Lakers get get lost. LeBron James get lost. Anthony Davis get lost. And I, I'm really happy for the Suns. Now it's gonna be interesting when Chris Paul comes back. I think he had came down with COVID, but I think because he was vaccinated, maybe the, the timeline's different. We'll see when he's back. But 
they are playing some type of team basketball. And, and it's really fun to watch. Really fun to watch. So now on to the Clippers Jazz. So the Clippers did the thing where they go down 2-0 in a series, come back and beat the Jazz four games to two. Kawhi Leonard, who was having a sensational series, especially in games three and four, was looking like one of the three best players in the league, then gets hurt in game three. It seems to be an ACL sprain. I don't know what that is or fears of a torn ACL. We're not sure we're going to see Kawhi Leonard. And when I should say that there are fears that we're not going to see Kawhi Leonard the rest of the playoffs. So then when he goes out, you're thinking, even without Mike Connolly for the Jazz, that the Utah Jazz, who are the number one seed, should take care of business. But Paul George, who was a laughing stock last year, a lot of fun being made at Paul George, and rightfully so because he was dreadful. And he's had a lot of playoff clunkers, whether it was last year, whether it was with Oklahoma City against Utah in 2017 and 2018. Paul George came to play in the last two games and was sensational. Reggie Jackson, another guy I never liked, really, was sensational. Nicholas Batum, and they, kudos to them. Kudos to them. They strapped up, even with their best player out, and beat the Jazz in Utah in Game 5, and then coming back from 20 points down with Terrence Mann. Terrence Mann going absolutely bonkers in the second half in Game 6, and they take care of business, winning by like 14 points in Game 6. For a team that's never made the conference finals and a team that we've questioned their mental makeup for a while, you got to be impressed with the Clippers. You got to be impressed with the Clippers, even if they lost game one yesterday against Phoenix. What they've done to get here is impressive. And Paul George has been impressive. You know, this is the best he's played in the playoffs since his days in Indiana, which was a long time ago. It was a long time ago, like seven years ago now. Six seven, eight years ago. But you got to give them their due. You got to give them their due. And I know Phoenix is the better team on paper. I think Chris Paul is going to come back before, before Kawhi Leonard. I don't think we're going to see Kawhi Leonard the rest of the playoffs. But that doesn't diminish what the Clippers did. And for those who are thinking the Phoenix Suns are going to run away with this series, we've seen this before. We saw it against Dallas. We saw it against Utah. All right, the Clippers have this weird ability to be resilient. And it's strange because I don't think Coach Ty Lue is a particularly good coach. I think he's exceedingly overmatched, but somehow he looks really stupid for the first two games and then a switch flips and he figures it out, at least this year. So that series isn't over yet, uh, but that's uh, the Clippers. So kudos to him and to Paul George for getting them to this point. And now to the Utah Jazz. I know... Mike Connolly was hurt and hobbled, didn't look good in game six. Donovan Mitchell was hurt, and Mitchell was sensational early on, and then he got hurt, and you kind of saw him trying to do a little too much in terms of when the Clippers were going to double-team him. It was kind of like, let me just get up a, a quick three off the bounce before they come and double-team. You know, the sophistication wasn't really there. Like, he was just a little impatient because he saw things snowballing out of control, not playing Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is awesome. Where it all falls is a lot of it falls on Rudy Gobert, Mr. Third Team All-NBA Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert. 
I don't want to hear Rudy Gobert being mentioned for Defensive Player of the Year ever again. All right? How many times is this guy going to get played off the floor in a playoff series? How many times? You can't tell me you're the, the best defender in basketball and you get played off the floor constantly in playoff series, year after year after year. All right? I know the rim protectors, they play this drop coverage. You've seen it with the Milwaukee Bucks, and it got shredded by Kevin Durant. And what difference is Rudy Gobert at max money, $40 million a year, than Brooke Lopez? You can say, get the same bullshit drop coverage. Like, seriously, Rudy Gobert, why is he that much better than Nerlens Noel? He doesn't give you anything on offense. He can't catch. He can't dribble. He can't shoot. Unless he's spoon-fed, he ain't scoring, and he's not a great free-throw shooter. Nolan's Noel, he shoots 75% from the field. Nolan's Noel is a mid-level exception guy. Rudy Gobert is a max player. It's insane. It's insane. He's a big player that John Hollinger has convinced everybody was an MVP candidate. And I don't want to hear about the screen assists, all right? Those numbers may be real. I don't care. I don't care. If you're an all-NBA player, which you were voted, even when, you know, some guys are out, like Mike Connolly's out, you need to be elevating your team. All-NBA means you are one of the top 15 players in the league. I know because they include centers in, in the voting and, and the way it's broken down by positions, they got to pick a center. I get it, all right? But you can't tell me that Rudy Gobert is better than Demontis Bonus. You can't tell me he's better than Jonas Valanciunas, who continually kicks his ass when they play against each other. I mean, and beating Jokic, forget about it, right? DeAndre Ayton, you'd rather DeAndre Ayton at this point because he's not a zero on offense. Far from it. He's turning into a pretty good defensive player. Brooke Lopez, who I'm not the biggest Brooke Lopez fan, and he got exposed and torched in the Nets-Bucks series. But you'd rather Brooke Lopez than Rudy Gobert because at least Brooke Lopez can catch around the rim. Yeah, Brooke Lopez doesn't rebound for shit, and he's maybe the smallest seven-foot guy in the history of basketball, but he can make corner threes. He can make top-of-the-key threes. He has a post game when they choose to do that. He's not a bad rim protector, far from it. Here's the thing with the Utah Jazz, all right? As Jay-Z once said, he's all right, but he's not real. That's the Utah Jazz. They have the best record in the Western Conference over the last five years. And it doesn't mean squat. Because a team with Rudy Gobert making max money is never going to win an NBA championship. Ever. Ever. He's a, as I said before, he's a big player who's making max money, who all the stat nerds try to convince you, the basketball fan, and me, that Rudy Gobert is way more important than he really is. And the stat nerds are taking it on the chin right now. They hated the mid-range game. Well, guess what? Devin Booker's dominating in the mid-range game. Kawhi Leonard was dominating in the mid-range game. Paul George, Chris Paul dominates in the mid-range game. Guess what? They're still alive. They're still alive in playoff basketball. Chris Middleton, we'll add him to the mix. We'll get, again, we'll save the bucks for a little bit, but we'll add that to the mix. So tough look for the stat nerds. 
And it just goes to show you that if you have eyes and you understand what you're watching, no stat nerd can ever convince you that they know more basketball than you do. At the end of the day, yeah, the advanced analytics can help. But if you don't know or have a feel for the game, no MIT graduate is going to be able to help you. John Hollinger voted Rudy Gobert second in MVP voting. What a farce. What a joke he is. Jeez. So that's the Utah Jazz. That's the Utah Jazz. And I don't know where they go. If you're a Jazz fan, you're stuck. You're stuck because Rudy Gobert, that number, you trade him. And if you trade him and you get worse, Donovan Mitchell is going to want out because he's going to be fighting for the eighth seed. He's going to be like, I've had enough of that. You're kind of stuck. It, it may be worth it to tear it all down in Utah. Tear the whole thing to the ground. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Utah is going to do. It'll be interesting to see. So that brings me to the uh, the finale. The nets Buck series, which I admit I was exceedingly emotionally invested in. I can't stand this Nets team. I can't stand this Nets organization. I've never hated a pro team more in my life than I do this Brooklyn Nets team. I despise them with an unhealthy amount of sports hate. An unhealthy amount. So yeah, so Milwaukee prevails in seven games, winning game seven in Brooklyn. And that brings a major smile to my face. Major, major smile to my face. But let's backtrack a little bit. All right, so Milwaukee games one and two. Milwaukee blew game one. They should have won game one. They get absolutely blown off the floor in game two. Brooklyn was running amok. I thought I was maybe going to go to that game. Turns out I had other plans, and thank goodness, because I didn't want to sit through that. So then Milwaukee comes home for game three, almost gives away game three in a disgusting second half of basketball that they played. And then, but somehow they prevail. Kyrie Irving gets hurt, turns an ankle, bad sprain. I don't wish poorly. Uh, I should say I don't wish injuries on, on guys, but karma's a bitch, Kyrie. So I didn't really feel so bad. So yeah, and then James Harden, who was out for the first three games, comes back in game four, bum hamstring, doesn't look like himself. Milwaukee plays a complete game in game four, takes care of business, and now we're on to game five. Game five in Brooklyn. James Harden's hobbling around, looks like he can't move, and Kevin Durant puts on one of the great displays in the history of playoff basketball. An unbelievable display, 49 points. It just, the shooting efficiency was ridiculous, and the, the array of shots that he made, there was a late three in that game that he made that was just absurd, just absurd. And while he's doing that, Milwaukee, who's up 18 points, right, running away with this, but even while they were up 18 points, they had so many terrible possessions where they were just taking dumb shots, dumb shots by Drew Holiday, dumb shots by Middleton, dumb three-pointers by Giannis early in the shot clock. And KD wills the team to win. Wills the team to win. They got nothing from Harden. KD has an all-time performance. And then Giannis at the end takes a turnaround over James Harden, a turnaround fadeaway in the post where Harden can't move. 
It's just a, a baffling shot selection from Giannis and the Nets take game five. And you're just like, here we go again. It's the same old BS with Coach Budenholzer. You know, the, just the same old stick to the system, not changing things up, refusing to put Giannis on KD even for a little bit. You know, you would think the guy who's a freak athlete at 6'11 would be able to affect the jump shot of another freak athlete who's 6'11, 7 feet. I know exerting the effort and energy to guard the opposing team's best player and being tasked to be the offensive focal point is really difficult. And you saw that in game seven, how exhausted Giannis was. But come on, Giannis, you're that dude. You got to. Take the challenge. Even for a three-minute stretch, you've got to take the challenge. That was game five, an exceedingly frustrating loss for the Milwaukee Bucks, which honestly kept me up at night. Kept me up at night, couldn't sleep that Tuesday night, and just embarrassed. And Charles Barkley said it best. He was still rolling with the Milwaukee Bucks, picking them to win the finals, win the championship. And he said, man, do they play stupid. Chuck couldn't have said it better. You had Terrible shot selection from Drew Holiday, who had a very up and down series. We'll get to him in game seven. You had bad shot selection from Giannis. You had just bad threes. Brooke Lopez playing way too many minutes and getting roasted on defense in the, in the pick and roll coverages. So, yeah, so then they go into game six. P.J. Tucker was fighting his ass off against Kevin Durant, holds him to 15 for 30 for 32 points. And Harden looks a little bit better, but Milwaukee plays a really clean game. I would say an 80% really clean game. They still did some dumb things, but Giannis doesn't attempt three, dominates in the paint. They win game six. And then goes on to game seven. Goes on to game seven. Harden is starting to get a little bit in a groove. His hamstring looks like he's moving a little bit better, but it's a back and forth game. Chris Middleton who was sensational in game six. Started off ice cold in game seven. And you're like, here we go again with this Chris Milton yo-yo act, right? One game good, one game bad. Drew Holiday was dreadful in game seven for the majority part of game seven on offense, just taking bad shots, not being aggressive, driving to the rim. Seemed like every time he drove to the rim, something good happened, but he was selling for threes. Just nothing was going in. And besides for one stretch of the fourth quarter that Milwaukee actually really needed him, he really didn't have much. And Giannis had just an otherworldly game in game seven. 40 points, 13 rebounds, five assists, shot eight for, eight for 14 from the free throw line, made big free throws too. And Milwaukee comes out ahead with standing. Another magnificent performance from Kevin Durant. Another magnificent performance going all 48 minutes again, scoring over 40 points, 48 points, and hit one of the most ridiculous shots to force overtime. That was an inch, an inch away from being a three-pointer, which would have given them the lead with one second left. So the game goes into overtime. First possession, there's a bad bounce on a, on a, uh, on a box out. Uh, Blake Griffin and Giannis get tangled up. Loose ball. Bruce Brown gets away. Right. And at that point, Milwaukee has got to be thinking, oh, here we go again. Here we go again. The Milwaukee Bucks, they're going to pull the choke job again. And 
Milwaukee goes three or four possessions without scoring. It's about a minute and a half left still. But Brooklyn's not scoring either. And Durant is absolutely gassed, running on fumes, running on fumes. He's got not getting any help. Joe Harris, who led the league in three-point shooting this year, was absolutely MIA. People actually thought he was as good of a shooter as Clay Thompson. That's laughable. I mean, please, if you're one of those guys, get off of Twitter. Stop talking about basketball. Joe Harris, MIA, completely MIA. And Giannis in one of the biggest possessions of the game. And you saw it a little bit down the stretch of the fourth quarter of him being super aggressive in the post, on the block, on the left side, whether it was driving past Blake Griffin or in this particular possession, getting the ball on the left block, backing Kevin Durant into the paint, putting him under the stanchion because he's a monster. Jump hook, right-hand jump hook, tie game. And then Drew, and then Chris Milton hits a, a step back jump shot uh, off a spin move. Gorgeous shot. He found his game in the fourth quarter. And the Milwaukee Bucks find a way to win and they advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. Wonderful, wonderful feeling. And people are going to blame Kevin Durant on the last shot he took to try and tie the game or to try and win the game. Maybe he thought he was going to take a three. I mean, what else do you want the guy to do? He was sensational. And, and yeah, and Milwaukee advances. And considering the news with Rick Carlisle and the Mavericks being in absolute flux, Mike Budenholzer kind of saves his job because, if, make no mistake, if the Milwaukee Bucks lost to this Nets team with Kyrie Hurt, Harden hobbled, Mike Budenholzer is gone. I personally think unless they win the finals, Mike Budenholzer should be gone. With his inability to switch things up on defense, in his inability to, to see how getting Brooke Lopez involved in pick and roll on defense is bad. Try and hide Brooke Lopez a little bit so he can guard the paint, right? Like, what's Brooke Lopez doing guarding the screeners? Like Bruce Brown. He should be guarding Blake Griffin, all right? And if you want to use Blake Griffin as a screen game to pick and pop, fine. So be it. But still. But credit to Brooke Lopez. He did make a huge block on Kevin Durant uh, to keep the game tied. Joe Harris then did brick the three. And whatever. All said and done, you can talk about injuries all you want. But the Milwaukee Bucks, a team that we thought, I should say, had a lot of questions about their mental toughness and their ability to win a big game. They win a game seven on the road. Win a game seven on the road to advance there in the Eastern Conference Finals. So kudos to the Milwaukee Bucks and my guy Giannis. I've been the leader of the Giannis Hive this entire time. And you saw it after game five. There was a slander that Giannis can't be the best player on a championship team. Like, shut up with that, all right? Just because he doesn't shoot threes particularly well doesn't mean that he can't be the best player on a championship team. You probably didn't like Shaquille O'Neal either. And keep in mind, Giannis is 26, okay? He's 26 years old. Michael Jordan didn't make two conference uh, finals until he was 27. He won his first title at the age of 28, okay? LeBron James won his first title at 28. Young guys don't win immediately in this league. So it's not that difficult sometimes. Yeah, Giannis is frustrated. He's not perfect, all right? He's not a perfect basketball player. And he's made me tear my hair out watching him this series against the Nets. But don't forget that that guy busts his ass. He never takes a playoff. And when 
The going got tough. In a game seven on the road, he showed up and was an absolute monster. Yeah, his, his stats were a little empty in the first two games, but after that, he was awesome. He was awesome. And they advanced. And I don't want to hear it from the Nets fans that, oh, we only lost because of injuries. Guess what? Injuries happen. You also have guys who are injury prone. Now, I know the Kyrie injury was a little fluke, fluky. He just came down on somebody on Giannis's ankle. I'm surprised that doesn't happen more in, uh, in NBA games. But guess what? That's karma, Kyrie, for you taking personal days and not taking the regular season seriously. James Harden with a bum hamstring. You know, tried to give it a go. I give him credit for trying to give it a go. But guess what? It's karma for you throwing the Houston Rockets under the bus, being fat and out of shape. And guess what? That's how you get injured when you're not in shape. So karma is a bitch, Brooklyn Nets. And I, for one, am exceedingly happy that they lost. Smiling ear to ear right now. Ear to damn ear. Having said all that, I absolutely love watching Kevin Durant play basketball. He's a pleasure to watch. And he's coming off the Achilles with how he played in the, in the playoffs. He went the full 48 in game five, went the full 48 in game seven into overtime. Just, just incredible. Right now, he's the best player in the league. He's the best player in the league, and he's a joy to watch. But, yeah, but sayonara, Brooklyn Nets. No one fucking cares about the Brooklyn Nets anyway. All right, so now we're in the conference finals. Bucks, Hawks. I've got the Bucks in six. I know the bench from the Milwaukee Bucks has been dreadful. I mean, they only got nine points from their bench in game seven, and all of them were for Pat Connaughton. The Brooklyn Nets got zero points from their bench in that game seven, which is just crazy. So, yeah, I got the Milwaukee Bucks in six. I think Giannis gets it done, and the injury to Bogdanovich makes me nervous for the Hawks. As for the Western Conference, I've got Phoenix in six. I think that the Clippers will make it closer than you think. I got Phoenix in six. Uh, and I'm excited to see how these series unfold. One last thing before we get into tonight's guest, we're going to continue talking about all things NBA with tonight's guest, recurring guest, uh, one of my favorite guys to talk hoops with. It wouldn't be a complete show, especially a show that I have this much juice, this much energy, without going with a little bit of asshole of the day, NBA edition. And what do you know? Recurring winner. It's none other than LeBron James. So seeing all the injuries, LeBron James tweets basically criticizing the NBA for starting so quickly after the bubble, saying, what did you expect? Yada, yada, yada. All right, LeBron. Guess where your argument falls short or has no validity at all? You and Chris Paul run the league in terms of the Players Association. And guess what? The Players Association voted on this, right? Because they wanted to recoup money from the TV partners and not lose that much money in terms of paychecks. And that's fine. So if you were willing to sit out, you know, you're willing to wait and lose the revenue, that's fine. But you can't have your cake and eat it too. And by the way, LeBron, guess what? Not every player in the NBA is at your salary level. Right, the 13th, 14th, 15th guys on the roster, they wanted to get back to work because their pay is really affected by the lat, you know, by having less games. So just shut up, LeBron. All right. And you guys voted on it. Okay. You voted on it. And it sounds awfully like sour grapes because Anthony Davis got hurt and your ass got bounced in the first round for the first time in your career. Guess what? Anthony Davis is brittle as shit anyway. 
Okay? So he was due to get hurt, and he's soft, you know, soft and brittle. So shut up, LeBron. Shut up. And it's not about the other players, and you're not sorry about the injuries. It's all about you. LeBron James cares about one person, one person only, and that's LeBron James. It's always been that way. Never get it twisted. I am so happy that they lost in the first round and that LeBron looks like we're finally getting to the twilight of his career, a great career, might I add, unbelievable career. But you're a has-been now, dude. You're a has-been. Your primetime days are over. So why don't you just shut up, write out your career, and, and just be done with it. And by the way, Space Jam 2 is going to suck, and I hope it tanks in theaters. Asshole of the day, NBA edition, LeBron James. With that said, it's time to get into tonight's guest. I ranted and raved a little bit longer than normal. I had that energy today. It's a great day. Uh, there was great basketball played this past weekend, and I'm excited for the conference finals. So let's bring on tonight's guest in just a moment. I am blessed uh, on late on a Sunday night to welcome back on a recurring guest, a very special recurring guest, somebody who I haven't spoken to on the podcast in a while, uh, somebody who actually has, you know, some ins with the NBA, uh, Mr. Phil Bowes. Phil, what's good, buddy? Not much here in lovely Phoenix, enjoying the Western Conference Finals and uh, looking forward to talking some playoff basketball with, with the, one of the biggest basketball fans I know personalities biggest basketball personalities i know damn straight well you saw you saw quite a performance today out of devin booker who i think is on a personal mission to make me look exceedingly stupid when i characterized him as empty calorie stats guy and never gonna win anything so he's really rubbing in my face in it and he, and he did it today so kudos to you for being in the building for seeing that performance i mean he was incredible yeah, I mean, all these guys, if they're on bad teams, they start off as empty calorie guys. And then once they play in the meaningful games, you find out. Like, as we find out today, Tobias Harris is probably our generation's Corey Maggette in that. And he, you know, will score 20 points, but it doesn't really matter no matter what the game. Yeah, the whole thing with Devin Booker was the fact that first, Phoenix was really bad. But okay, fine. Young teams are bad. But when that clip came out of him um, playing pickup over the summer and complaining about double teams. I just thought he was soft as anything. And I just didn't think he had like, you know, real any, what's the word? Um, like that competitive juice to like, you know, you need some type of dog in you to be really great. And I just didn't think he had it. And, um, and maybe Chris Paul's rubbing off on him because man, he's, he, he's making me look dumber and dumber by the day. Oh, when you take in what everyone talked about in media today is basically the impact. They've talked about a lot all year, but this is the first hand uh, getting to see it today is they talk about how they listen to Chris Paul. Chris Paul is always talking. A lot of the players are saying the one thing that they missed today was that Chris, they didn't hear Chris Paul's voice. Like he just wasn't stammering on about some, whether it's communication on the court or something in the locker room. Like uh, there's no doubt there is an indelible impact of what CP3 has done to the team. And, a guy like Devin Booker who probably, you know, how old is Devin Booker? 24? Yeah, something 23. like that. So Chris Paul, so he's watching Chris Paul play when he was 12, something like that. Or, you know, he's watching, he's watching him play as a kid. He's going to have, you know, an impact. Uh, it's like, imagine us, imagine if you got to play with like Allen Iverson, you know, and you were 20, 20 years old, you're going to listen to basically everything Allen Iverson says, even if it's not good advice. But Chris Paul seems to be a little more responsible than Allen Iverson. No, no, a little you bit more sage-like than Allen Iverson. And funny you mentioned that because, you know, 
Chris over the years has not been a guy who's been easy to play with, right? They talk about how, you know, he's, he's a great player, the point guard and all that stuff, but he's been a little prickly of a character. I mean, see his time in Houston, which was the least favorite Chris of the Chris Paul years for me. Uh, see his time with uh, Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. They clashed. Um, you saw it a little bit in New Orleans. I mean, I don't think it was so much his teammates in uh, New Orleans as opposed to just the situation. But, like, Chris Paul has been a very demanding guy, a gruff guy, and it hasn't always worked for him. But right now, kind of at, like, the twilight of his career, he's found a team that really follows his lead in that respect. And I, I think they're going to the finals. Right. I mean, the thing about anyone in any industry, it's like if you go to work for someone who's very determined and very intense, it might not matter. You might be very good at your job, but if you can't handle it, sometimes it's vice versa. But if you can't handle working for someone who's that kind of geared that way, the relationship, the working relationship is not going to work out one way or the other. Either the boss is not long or you're not going to be able to cut it. And a lot of these guys like Chris Paul's played with a lot of guys who probably didn't play at the level they could have. Um, because of probably their dynamic with Chris, but clearly something's working here. I mean, Devin Booker, his game is he's a, he's a all NBA level player. Um, Who deserved to make all NBA this year over Kyrie Irving. One of my biggest beefs of the all NBA teams, but uh, that's just, that's just me. Right. And so you get, you get to this point where Chris is now in his late thirties. I'm sure he's still very demanding, but I'd assume he's learned a lot in the last four years. Uh, people see him as the consummate teammate. Like you don't hear people complaining about him in the locker room, even in Oklahoma city didn't hear anything last year about it. So they obviously something, something clicked for him. Um, but I'm sure also helps Monty Williams coach. They all seem to respect him a lot and listen to everything he says in the huddle. You can see it on the court. You can see the difference, you know, when, when Ty, Ty Lue's looking over to Paul George and he's signaling a play or something, you could see Paul George visibly kind of shake him off and Ty Lue, you know, they have their understanding, but, the players all looking at Monty on the court, they all kind of say like they nod their head and they understand. I'm not saying that that's the, the, the right way to go about it, but usually that's the best way. And everyone's on the same page all the time. Well, you see it's Chris Paul's impact even more so than Devin Booker, because Booker was always a super talented guy. Maybe he just needed a little push, but Deandre Ayton. And that's where the impact of Chris Paul is really seen. And it looked like it was going to go sideways during the year when, when Ayton, would have these games where he'd just get no numbers. Like Chris Paul, he'd get frustrated at him and not throw him the ball on certain rim runs because of maybe like defensive issues. But I don't know what he told him at the end of the year going into the playoffs, but DeAndre Ayton has been incredible. He's exceeded, I think, everybody's expectations of, of him in terms of where the, his standing in the league was going until going until this year and especially in this playoff run. And I think that's really just Chris Paul coaching him up. That's it's really an incredible job. Yeah. I think it's also, again, Monty Williams, again, it's kind of telling him, don't worry, keep rim running, keep rim running. The more you rim run, the more opportunities you'll get, even if you don't get it. And he probably I'm sure sees the impact his rim runs have when not just on him getting the ball, but the guys around the wings getting the ball as well. You know, it's very obvious once you start to see your team succeed and go from winning you know, they, they had a slower start where they were around 500 their first 17 games and they, they blossomed into this Western Conference Titan. I'm, I'm, he's a smart guy and I'm sure he figured out certain things he was doing helped uh, the peripheral players as well as Booker and Paul. So it's really amazing how a team can come together when you're all 
when you're all on the same page, if you have a plan and we stick to it, uh, even if it's not the great a great plan, you'll do better than maybe you would without a plan. Well, another team just like that, I mean, was the Atlanta Hawks. They were like five and 16 at one point, And now they're in the Eastern Conference Finals after just beating Philly just now, which is incredible. I mean, we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, I mean, another team that is led by a guy who I, I definitely had doubts about. Um, but Atlanta's been been incredible. And, and Trey Young is kind of turned into like Steve Nash 2.0 in a sense, where it's kind of like, He's playing just like we wanted Nash to play. The, the reads are there, and he's shooting more, and he's more aggressive. And it's just – I can't believe what, I, what I'm seeing out of the Hawks. Yeah, I mean, like I know the big storyline is they started playing well when they fired Lloyd Pierce and they added McMillan, but then everyone talks about Bogdanovich came back, which obviously was a big it was deal. huge. But again, it's all about the timing and when things come together. And clearly, Lane McMillan had a way he wanted this team to play, and – once the team buys into it and everyone's on the same page and communicating, it becomes a lot easier to coach and to play, especially when you start on offense. And then def- even if you're struggling on offense, you play defense together, the offense will come. These guys are also talented. So when you see like Trey young getting the ball into the middle of the court, once they have Bogdanovich and you're surrounded by Bogdanovich, Capella, um, Collins and Porter, like he, it's like playing, like it's like playing Madden on uh on playstation like you could hit x y try you get an x y triangle r2 and you're going to have a good shot or a good option and i think they figured that out that trace probably you know you, you i think <laughs> what we can relate to is when you play a zone we played yeshiva high school basketball zone you get the ball into the middle and the big man or someone you know the guy at the high post distributes or shoots and trey young i know he's not a big guy but he's doing it better than anyone else is doing in the league right now he's doing kind of I would say it's also similar to Chris Paul, just with that added three-point shot. But even even the guys on Atlanta, the surrounding cast on Atlanta, like, I don't know. Maybe I have this ridiculous bias against Atlanta, but I don't think John Collins is, like, particularly frightening. Uh, I'm scared of Bogdanovich, but Capella's good. He's not great. I just think Trey Young has unlocked something in his game where he's just – He's just so much smarter than he was last year. And, and there's there's an IQ level that has just gone up a notch. And and he's to me, it's he's really the center of the universe here. Right. Also, I mean, well, the thing about think about where his offense used to start. It probably used to start more frequently 28 feet away from the hoop. But now he's really he really gets to get that ball in the foul line area. He takes his floater or he moves the ball. And you might sure you might not be afraid of Capella, but Capella's really good at two things on offense. Uh, rebounding the ball and dunking the ball. So when when he when Trey's in the right spot and he's in the right spot, it's an easy two points. John Collins as well. John Collins doesn't do anything great that really scares you. But in that offense, when you have shooting on the wings and Capella kind of on the baseline, Collins can do can play to his strengths, which is a lot of off ball cutting and a lot of kind of spot up shooting. And when Trey's in the middle, it opens everything up for everyone on the offense. You see a lot of their bad possessions come from when maybe when you get John Collins and taking like a wing three uh, because that's not really that's not really one of his strengths but the way their offense kind of flows that becomes the best option as the shot clock runs down but that's just because of good defense like it's all about Trey being in the middle and orchestrating the offense from there and, and them knowing them trying to put their players and their skill sets in the best position to succeed whether from Capella to Hurt or to um, 
Collins. Like it's it's just a matter of they they just want to they want to start their offense in the middle and, and spread out beyond. And they weren't doing that. They weren't doing that last year. I can tell you that much. Shout out to Red Velvet, Kevin Herter, the best nickname in all of the NBA because he was absolute dynamite tonight. Unbelievable game seven from him, and he and he stepped up in a major win. I, I really like the fact that what he does as a secondary ball handler and playmaker at his age and at his size is exceedingly unique and exceedingly valuable. And I, I think once Atlanta really kind of honed in on, on starting him, uh, it, it really made them even more dangerous because going back to the beginning of the Knicks series, like I wasn't afraid, like every time Gallinari shot the ball, I, it was a win for, for the Knicks. I know the Knicks lost four one, but every time Gallinari shot the ball it was a win for the Knicks. I, I thought every time John Collins shot corner threes, it was a win for the Knicks. Any Solomon Hill minutes was a win for the Knicks, but Solomon know, Hill minutes is a loss for anyone watching the game. Yeah. So I, it's just, it's, um, when Herter being put into the starting lineup, I think really unlocked him too when he's playing with um, Bogdanovich and playing with with Trey Young. And shout out to him; he's been awesome. Um, my, yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember who was on Atlanta last year, but you'd watch a lot of Herter minutes, and he has to, he had to do a lot more with the ball in his hands. His usage was probably higher last year, I'd assume, over the course of the season. But now with these better players in place, he's kind of. You can't, we can't really leave him one on one depending on who your defender is, and you can't rotate off him. So, um, I just he's a tremendous player, and I'm questioning myself. Shaq called him Opie on the post game. Is that racist? Are we allowed to say that's racist? <laughs> I feel like racist, but he's going to get away with it. Yeah, uh, we're, we're, we're going to let that one slide by uh, by the big Shaq. This, uh, I don't think he meant anything uh, malicious by it. I don't know if just... you might be a little too tan to make such a comment. <laughs> You know what? I'm I'm gonna try and keep this above above water right now because uh you know just just for the sake of the show I, I wanted to switch gears with you for a second because I know you're a Celtics fan. So besides for all the um all the play on the court, there was a lot of news. Like the NBA decided to go absolutely bonkers last week, and a lot of that revolved around the Celtics, right? So first you had Danny Ainge stepping down as the general manager and the president of operations, right? You had Brad Stevens stepping down as coach and then basically taking over for Danny Ainge, right? Yep. A lot of craziness. So what was your first reaction when you heard the news about Ainge, about Stevens? And um, given everything that happened in the Danny Ainge era, how would you assess the job that Danny Ainge did as a general manager? Because it's a it's a layered question. I'm just curious to know where you're going with this. Well, first, I'd say I was very surprised. I wasn't surprised when I heard that Danny Ainge was leaving the team, whether it was being retired or some kind of mutual parting of ways. You know, I thought the team had kind of they, I can't say over the last five years they've underperformed because they got to the Eastern Conference Finals when people didn't expect them to. But three out of four years when expectations were a little higher, they didn't they didn't do as well. Um so that was surprising. I, and I thought if, if that was the case, I thought either Brad would stay as coach or if he left, he would just either coach somewhere else or maybe take some time off from coaching. So I was surprised that – it was all surprised. I was shocked to hear that he was going to be running basketball operations, considering he has no pro experience doing that. I, I can imagine he had a lot of recruiting sway and all that and a lot of operations experience with Butler, but that was also a long time ago at this point. It's very different. Um, so I'm um, – with, the, with their front office, though, assuming they keep the Mike Zarens of the world and the assistant GMs, um, I have a lot of faith in them. 
but now moving on to, to the Danny Ainge era, uh, it's a little disappointing overall. I'd, I'd give it like a B. I think I'd give it a hard B because they won a title, not necessarily due to the sl- to the to the slyness of Danny Ainge. You know, his friend Kevin McHale traded him Kevin Garnett, and anyone could have gotten Ray Allen from uh, from the Sonics at that point. They didn't even give up. They give up Jeff Green, the fifth pick at that point and not much else like and they even got big baby back in that trade like uh it wasn't exactly rocket science to put together it took i'm surprised it took people long enough too long to put someone around paul pierce after several years of them kind of being the trade rumors all involved pierce it was all pierce for mcgetty pierce for quinn richardson like stuff like that um pierce for the pick that would have become chris paul Right, but either way, it should have been focusing on on Pierce and getting players to play with Pierce. I mean, Pierce was always a tremendous offensive player. He was probably a lot of, and he had shown that he could play in the playoffs. I mean, they he didn't he the team didn't do great against the Nets, but he did. He was tremendous in those early postseason runs. So and he had def- that series against Indiana in what two thousand five. He had a monster series. Yeah, there, there was no doubt he could play in the playoffs and carry the team on offense. And so, like, if I'm grading it, if I'm giving the Ainge era two different grades the first one's an a plus the first half and then the second one's probably a c plus so that's kind of how i sit on a b because while he while he was able to you know he kind of got a little lucky with tatum like there there's he could have easily ended up drafting fultz i don't think anyone i don't think if someone told you they thought fultz would be that big of a zero coming out right away they're lying to you because he was unquestionable unquestionably the number one pick in the draft um and he, he made just so many trades for all these picks and assets, and we were all excited. Oh, another first-round pick, blah, blah, blah. But at some point, you have to cash them in. Cash them in. And even if you had told me he traded – remember they tried to trade for Justice Winslow, those three picks, to move up to take him. Like, I, at the time, I, I would have been happy. I, in hindsight, I wouldn't have because of how the trade worked out. But I'd rather t- them, take, them take those shots than kind of do nothing and end up with Romeo Langford. Uh, and other guys, and the, a big problem of the Ainge era was drafting the, the second half. I mean, I might have the years wrong, but this is off the top of my head. In 2016, I think, with the 16th pick or something, they drafted. Who do you think they drafted that year? Uh, I I don't I don't remember. You're not, not going to know the answer to this question because no. it's not on the Gershon Yabusele. That's right. Oh, <laughs> former uh, former uh, Chinese uh, former Shanghai Former fat French guy in the NBA. So you look at who they t- who who's and I believe in the same draft or either the year later where they took Ante Zizic with like the twenty second pick. So they're just all these picks, whether they were stashes or just bad picks. They it's just wasting picks, and it's not like this was a perfect team that that you they could they could draft guys that we'll worry about four years from now. Like there are plenty of guys in those drafts that they passed up. I, again, I don't know offhand who they were, but. There are always guys in the late first round that are much more valuable than a guy who's off the roster in three years and barely plays. Um, and then even Romeo Langford, you know, God help him. He's not going to be, he's not going to be long for Boston and Grant Williams. Like there's just a lot of tough, a lot of tough picks in the second half of the age era um, that I just, I can't say I'm supportive of. And even at the time when I still remember hearing them call Gershon's name and I thought he was Jewish, but I learned quickly he was not. <laughs> and it became disappointing on a, a, a several levels. But I mean, if you if you look at that draft, that that draft, I'm pretty sure him and Zizic were the same year is disappointing. The, the whatever that stretch of draft picks is just if if well, you took if you took those picks without without Danny Ainge, you just saw someone make those picks as a GM, you'd assume that guy got fired three years ago. 
Well, they also got unlucky with some of those picks, right? In terms of just, you know, a pick was contingent on like Memphis being bad. And then, you know, John Moran turns around Memphis and then, you know, they get the 14th pick as opposed to like the fifth pick, right? Like that happened. There was a Sacramento pick that was like that as well, where Sacramento decided that they were going to be almost confident and push for the playoffs, um, not getting in, but still it became like the 13th pick as opposed to what we thought was or what Celtics fans thought were going to be like a top four pick. And, you know, the Kyrie trade, like the one time they went all in was, what was that? From from those trades. Those are their Celtics own picks or different trades. There's, there's that the expectation that those picks would have been higher and they could have either used them to draft someone or trade them for cap trade, trade them for a veteran. But it's not like they were drafting well anyway. Like I, they could have outside of Jalen and Tatum and, and smart was a high pick. It's not like smart. They not like they, they plucked Marcus smart with, with the 12th pick in the draft. I think he's a top eight, top six pick. So I think number, yeah. Number six overall. So they, it's not like they were figuring all the stuff out on a deeper level and getting snags later. Um, you know, Robert Williams was their best, probably their best pick in the last five years, which isn't saying too much. Yeah. I, and, and the other thing was not, you know, as we mentioned, not cashing the picks in, like who was the guy, you know, they made the Kyrie trade. Obviously it didn't work out because Kyrie went a little bit AWOL as Kyrie's known to do. Uh, they didn't give up a whole lot, uh, but who was the guy, if you were going to cash the picks in for, cash all the assets in to go all in pushing the chips in the table. Like who was the guy? Because once Anthony Davis signed with clutch sports, like that wasn't happening in Boston. It just wasn't. Yeah. I would have liked to see them kind of take a, a bad swing. Like uh, if they, like I would have liked them to give up, especially once the, they kind of knew what picks they had, they could have at least maybe tried to get a Kevin love some kind of the, the thing the team hasn't had, they had for with Horford for a little bit and they were successful with Horford was a stretch big guy. And for the Horford's now been out of the uh, away from the team for, I think three regular seasons. And they never really replaced that with anyone. They haven't had a big guy who could shoot and do a, a lot of different things. Um, Love isn't the perfect fit because it doesn't play defense, but more someone like that. I think, I think they're, you know, they could have tried to get Harrison Barnes at the trade deadline this year. Didn't, I don't know if they did, they, they didn't get him. Um, they're, they're, they're players. We look back each year and maybe find out, um, maybe they really did try to get uh, Kevin Love or make some trades and it just didn't work out, but they never seemed like they were, while the reports were there active in trade talks, you never heard them hone in on one specific guy or anything. Well, of course like the reports say they were active in trade <laughs> talks because that's what the Boston media does. They always leak something that the Celtics are in on this person, that the Celtics are in on this person, but nothing ever happens. Well, no, there were, that's the thing. The last two years, there haven't been real substantial reports from, you know, your, you're, I don't want to say Woj, but let's say your next level, your um, Mark Stein, like Gary Washburn, like Boston Globe. He's not writing that they're in. They're actually in on trading for anyone in particular. They're, they're, they'll write they're linked to Harrison Barnes. They're linked to these names, but that's not the same thing. It's you. You really know the trade talks pick up steam where you have multiple reporters saying the team is really locked in on getting this one person, but I've, that never seemed to be the case. And the other thing about Danny Ainge, and and I'm curious to know what your your comments are here, is in terms of he really, it seems like he really treated players like currency, right? Where he he was just cold. Yeah, specifically with the Isaiah Thomas situation. And it was the right move. Yeah. 
but don't do you think that it hurt his reputation in terms of trying to sign players in terms of making Boston a free agent destination? I mean, I know they got Gordon Hayward afterwards, who was one of the top free agents on the market. They so, got Al Horford as well. Horford right, was who was one of the top free agents on the market at the time. And they but, got Kevin. They actually did the best, the best they could last right. five years, guys. I mean, did they <clears> – Kemba might have been kind of the leftover of guys they could sign, but Hayward was a huge grab. <clears throat> and I thought that freak Hayward injury to start his first season, the Gordon Hayward-Boston experience could have been a whole different story. I mean – A lot different. At a commission for two years, and then he suddenly has to come in and be the third or fourth wheel on a team with – these two budding young superstars. And it was very obvious in the start from Tatum. So Tatum was probably out there, obviously their best pick in the last five years. I don't know if it goes back five years, but like it's, I can't imagine what Hayward was, what, what kind of Hayward's thought process was because he's still getting paid by year three, still getting paid that max salary money. And he probably felt a lot like himself, but he still has to fit in. You know, it's not, it's, he wasn't going to be the number one or two option anymore. He was going to be kind of the facilitator. And we watched him, Charlotte this year when he was healthy I watched a lot of their games for I don't know why um but he no was really ball, he was really ball dominant when, especially when Lamella wasn't in the game but he but he shot a lot he kind of did he wasn't just the kind of there to make the other guys look better he was there to score 20 points and he was there to even guard the other team's best player when he could like he clearly if that was the Gordon Hayward they would have gotten in Boston Danny Ainge might not have retired yeah it's um it's just it's just a weird circumstance in Boston. There was just like a whole lot of optimism, and then all of a sudden it was just kind of like nothing. And it's not like they're in a bad spot because they still have Tatum and Brown being under 25 and no, being but what really they, good players. What they haven't done for three years is get any kind of stretch big guy, and they still haven't done it. I mean, they brought Hortford back, but who knows what they'll get from Hortford at 35. Um, but they never – they tried Daniel Tice for two years, which was a terrible – terrible guy stunk. And then Robert Williams can't shoot. He's good, but they're not gonna they're not gonna be a complete team with these two guys unless they get a big guy who could space the floor. Like there's I think Simmons and people in the ringer talk about the Kemba before the Kemba trade this past week, which I'm sure we'll get into, was the, the idea of a Kemba Porzingis swap. They should have tried to get Porzingis three years ago. Like I don't I think they I think they were again they another guy they, they were, but like I don't think how serious they I don't know how serious their offers were, but obviously it wasn't better than I You'd think it would have been better than what the Knicks end up giving for him, but apparently not. Even though they probably had the assets, they didn't want to dip into them as much. It, it, it's just a weird end to uh, the Danny Ainge era. Before we talk about the Kemba trade, which we're going to have to talk about in a second, um, the next coach, there are a couple of um, you know, couple of candidates out there. I think one of them that I've heard a, a bunch is Chauncey Billups. What do you think about him as a candidate? What do you, or where do you want to see the Celtics go with the next coach? Because there's the whole dynamic of working for Brad Stevens, right? Who's not an yeah. old guy, who's just the coach. And it's just like, what new coach would want to do that? Yeah, it's funny to say, I know Chauncey's been linked and same with Udoka and um, I'm blanking on a third name. Um, but I saw I saw Chauncey Billups today. And of course, he knows my face, has no idea what my name is, but he's seen me at events. Always says hi. He's very nice. He always says hi. Um, to me, secretly, I would have been like, hey, I want you to be the next Celtics coach. <laughs> I'm not going to say that to him, you know, in front of my peers. But uh, I'd love for him to be the next coach because they need, in terms of what they need right now, they need a, I feel like they need someone who can relate to the players 
but not not just off the court, but as well as kind of that experience on the court. Chauncey Billups t- played tough games in the playoffs. I, the, arguably, he was probably on the toughest team in the last twenty years. I think I think as long as the assistants around them are a little a little more X's and O's focused, which that's who these coaches with in LA right now. You got Kenny Atkinson and a couple other guys who are very much playbook guys. I don't know if he'd bring them along with him, but I think he'd be a great fit. I think it's a tough spot as a coach going there because like you said, Brad could decide next year, maybe I want to come back and coach who knows who the South, let's say Brad acquires, makes some great acquisition that he really likes the roster two years from now. I would hope there's something in, would be something in both contracts saying Brad can't come back and coach for X, Y, Z reasons or until year or some till 2025 or something. But if you're, if I'm a prospective head coach, I guess I just, I don't worry about the Brad Stevens things because if I get a chance to coach the Boston Celtics, I probably just jump at it. Especially considering that Tatum and Brown are, are two cornerstone pieces. I'm not sure they necessarily make each other better, but then again, they're they're super young and they're they're still they're still learning. Um, yeah, and if they like if they, yeah. they like you, if ultimately if you're a new coach and Tatum and Brown or even just one of them, Tatum loves you, you're not going to get replaced by Brad Stevens. You're not you're that's the biggest currency you could have is you have the support of your star player. I mean, that's kept guys employed in the league for decades, front offices and coaching staffs. It's I don't know they're going to hire the new guy. I think Jamal Mosley in Dallas because Luca loves him. Like it's. It's a player's league, man. It, it's a little ridiculous, but whatever. Well, that that's another topic for another uh, another day. Uh, the Kemba trade. So Kemba goes to Oklahoma City uh, in exchange for Al Horford. The Celtics had to attach a first round pick. I think they attached a 2025 second round pick, and they got back Moses Brown. Um, I don't know. What did you uh, think of what was that? Um, um, they also get back a, a second round pick or they didn't get a back, get back a second round pick. I thought the Celtics had to give up the second round pick in 2025. Oh, either way, not a huge concern. I just, it's weird to think it's so far, not even that far from now, 2025. <laughs> I don't know. I think the, no, you're, no, you're right. I think the Celtics did get back a second round pick, I think, to make yeah. something work. Well, what was your thoughts on the trade? I hate to say it, but I really like the trade because I ultimately think they weren't going to get anything much better for Kemba. I, I like the, sorry. I like the trade with the, the idea they got rid of Kemba. I hate that they had to attach a first round pick to it. Um, especially. Well, I mean, for- you knew that was going to have to happen given his I was hoping dollar figure and, and how hurt he's been. I would have hoped it w- maybe would have been a future pick. I, I happen to like uh, some of the mid round, like uh, there are a couple of guys in this draft that I think could fit the Celtics really well. Um, and it would have been Brad's first pick by himself, which I always think is a nice kind of barometer of how he can do as a front office guy. Um, but the Kemba era was over. Kemba never really fit into the offense, healthy or not. He never fit into the offense. And it's very hard for a guy his size, I think, to do like if he's not shoot, if he's not knocked down, he's not knocking down shots on a, on a given night, him getting to the hoop, he's. I didn't watch him enough in Charlotte, but I'd love to see his Charlotte highlights where he's finishing at the rim consistently. It's not something he did in Boston for two years. It's, you know, it's, it's almost like I, I couldn't believe that this was the guy that people were raving over from his time in Charlotte. Um, but with those, with, with Brown and Tatum and Tatum certainly needs the ball in his hands. It just didn't seem like it was ever going to fit. And he he's not getting healthier at his age. So was, I was very happy to see them get rid of him. I kind of like, 
I could be biased, but I like Al Horford even at 35 because he, he'll he'll be the leader in the locker room. The players already know him. They already trust him. And he could still contribute 20 minutes on a basketball court. Like, I don't think he's done. I agree with you on Horford. People talk about Horford being super washed. And, you know, fit is, and situation is 90% of how successful you're going to be as a player in the NBA, right? He goes to Philly. It's a weird fit, right? They tried this jumbo package with uh, Simmons and Bede and Horford, and it just wasn't just wasn't working. But I thought Horford was serviceable for the Celtics. They just didn't want to pay him what they thought he was going to get on the open market. But now that it's kind of a distressed asset with, I think, one less year on the contract and less money per year than Kemba, why not bring him back? Yeah, and I mean, they, they save, I think, $9 million this year, which is which is a useful body or two useful bodies if they spend it right. I mean, that's the Horf- mid-level Horf- exception. Horford has to give you 20 good minutes a night, and you can, depending on who you play, he can close games for you because he's not going to hurt you from the foul line. And he can, go, like, can he guard Joel Embiid one on one? No, but who, how many guys in the league can? Can he put up a fight against Joel Embiid? Sure. Why not? Better than, <laughs> better than Daniel Tyson, Tristan Thompson. Yeah. Grant, as much as I enjoy watching Grant Williams' energy and disposition, he's not—he's not giving you a better twelve minutes than Al Horford is. It's—it's—it's it's, um, it's refreshing to see them kind of go back to Horford because he was clearly a voice when the team was him, Kyrie, and the young guys. So I think what I would assume part of part of what Brad's doing is to kind of restore order in the locker room, and but but kind of. It's like a in wrestling, it's called a transitional champion. It's a guy who's not ready to be to carry the pro to carry the company as the, as the heavyweight champion. But in two years or a year, you might be. Horford will lead the locker room until Tatum or Brown are truly ready, um, which should be soon. These guys are not they're not that young anymore. I mean, Brown's not that young anymore. I feel like. Though, so, how old are they now? What's Tatum's twenty four? I think twenty three, twenty four. Brown right. Brown is about the same age. Yeah, I feel like in two, but but two years from now, they, one of them has to be the leader of the locker room, if not both of them in some dual role. But we're getting to that time where we can't say these young guys can't lead, can't lead the team. They're not going to be, they're not going to be that young anymore. Well, the joke on Twitter is that Jason Tatum's only twenty-one years old, but we've been making that joke for two years. Yeah, like it's <laughs> it's time to kind of either either you bring someone in who's more senior but really can contribute, someone who's 29, 30, 31, who's not Kemba, <laughs> who, who can lead the team and also give them good minutes, probably preferably at a, in a big man spot. That's, they need that. They have, again, they, Horford's 15 to 20 minutes on the court will be great, but they're going to need to find someone who can give them 32 minutes of front court, of, of, of complete front court basketball. So what are the other moves now, right? I mean, I can't, be, I can't imagine that Brad Stevens is done here. I mean, what are we doing with Marcus Smart? Like, what other moves do you want to see? Because I still think the roster – as currently constructed, is stale and needs a shakeup. Well, they always say, like, you never know which offseason, what player is going to say, I want out and I'm unhappy. So obviously they'll keep tabs on that, considering they can still make, they still have flexibility or they could trade to teams. I think if I'm Brad, I reach out to teams that are maybe in that kind of middling area, like a Portland or like a Dallas and see, like, what, like, are you interested in Marcus Smart? What would you give back for Marcus Smart? If you told me Boston could move Smart and assets for Porzingis, sure, Porzingis hasn't looked great, but I think he's the, the fit of player they need. And maybe the fact that, um, you know, Boston 
while the guys kind of do dribble it a little bit into the ground, they, they can, there's a, there's a world where they play more team oriented basketball and Porzingis is a good fit. Um, I think they need to, they, I, 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 I really hope they move on from Marcus Smart. I can't, I can't watch them take 15 shots a game anymore. You I, and me both. I've been te- saying this forever. Like Marcus Smart, the, I got this Marcus Smart minutes and shot attempts are the worst. And I, and I don't particularly root for the Celtics. I've rooted for the Celtics one stretch in my life, and that was Kevin Garnett was on the team from 2008 to 2010. So I like the demise of Boston teams, but, like, the Marcus Smart minutes where he would just take the biggest shot of the game, whether the team was on a run or needed to stop the opposing team's run, was just maddening to me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a team. That's the thing. I think if you could look at, like, a Utah, them getting bounced early, I feel like they can use someone like Marcus Smart, at least on the defensive end, and to kind of the team could use a little toughness. And then, then you're thinking, what do they send back? I mean, if I don't know, but a guy like Joe Ingles almost fits anywhere. You can't, you can play him. Um, is that enough? Is that a good deal? I don't know, but it's more so kind of feeling out to these teams. I would have said Atlanta would have been another team they could have traded with if Atlanta didn't. I mean, Atlanta's going to these conference finals now, so that might be a pipe dream. But if they had fallen this round, um, it's just kind of these teams that have guards who aren't known for their toughness. And cause that, that's your biggest sell point on smart, right? You're not, you're not acquiring him to, for him to shoot 30% from three on a good day. Uh, they'll have to see, they'll have to really feel out the teams that are, you know, 41 teams that might be looking for something that in their minds, get them over the edge while bringing back some front court help. I think that's, I think we've covered the uh, the Celtics a little bit, which is fine because they are no uh, longer playing games, so they are on the back burner. Before we get well, into the um, well, they are the Knicks, by the way. I, hey, listen, you know what? <laughs> the, the Knicks. Uh, the fact that we uh, waited this long to talk about Knicks off season is great. You know what? First time in eight years. <laughs> Before we get into uh, the you know teams that have just played or uh, and preview the um, the conference finals, I want to ask you as as a company man, right? The mm-hmm. NBA playoffs so far, uh, the league office, are they, are they happy with how it's going? Are they not happy? I mean, obviously we had the rash of injuries, which have definitely put a little bit of a damper on the, um, on the playoffs, but we're going to get a champion that hasn't won since the seventies. And that's the, that's the earliest, the champ, you know, the remaining teams have won and two teams are in the conference finals that haven't won ever. So does the league like this? Um, or are they bummed out that there are no Lakers, no Nets? Well, first of all, the league will, ne- like speaking as a company man, and I'm not generally will never admit this, any of this. The league will never be bummed out about who's in the finals, or in all seriousness, the league will never be bummed out about a team being in the finals over another team. That's not, that's not how David the, Stern once was on the record saying if he could have a finals, it would be the Lakers versus the Lakers. Yeah, but it's not. I think it's a different company than it was when he ran. When he ran, and also, he's, I think he was joking <laughs> for the most yeah. part about a different company. I'm pretty sure he was joking with that. Like, uh, like even I, you know, talking to people today, like I looked, I it amazed me. I think with this, the Hawks haven't gotten to the Eastern Conference Finals or gone to any finals since 1971. Um, Suns have never been there. And then the Clippers, I well, believe. Well, 71 was the last time the Bucks won. A sorry, sorry. 71 was the last time the Bucks won. If you go through each team, 71 last time the Bucks won. The Hawks. Won in the uh, 50s when they were in St. Louis. 19, 1958. Yeah. And then the other two teams have never gotten there. 
so it's refreshing to see uh, for myself personally company guy or not i'm i'm i'd be thrilled to see like a phoenix atlanta final um will it get the best ratings no but like ultimately we're you know you want to see the best basketball and two best teams i think what i i what i could assume that people in the league and i don't want to say this is my department specifically but i think you're just upset you see the guys get hurt like i it's more so you want to see everyone play everyone be healthy and everyone play to the every team play to that their highest capacity and unfortunately injuries are part of the game i've watched every dallas cowboys team of mine suffer some devastating injury every year and they finish seven and nine or six and ten because of it you know I'm sure if you ask the NFL, they'll say, no, we don't care if the Cowboys are in the, in the Super Bowl. But the highest rated Super Bowl would be Cowboys, Cowboys, you know, just like the take a take a line from David Stern. But ultimately, you just want everyone to be healthy because injuries derail careers. They cost guys money. They, you know, they cost they, and then I, I, they're not going to cost leagues money. I, like there'll be a TV deal come, regardless of who's in the finals this year. You know, right. It's it's more so. As a basketball fan, and everyone, a lot, sorry, not everyone, I can't say that, but let's say most people in the, who work for the NBA are basketball fans. You just want to see the two best teams play. Like, I, if you could have told me the Lakers were fully healthy and Brooklyn was fully healthy, I'd want to see those guys play each other because I think it's the most interesting matchup. Like, I, before the playoffs started, at least. I, I think Brooklyn against kind of any of the top Western teams is extremely interesting because that of that super team dynamic. Just like uh, Golden State kind of playing anyone, it ended up being LeBron, but you wanted to see Golden State get to the finals and whether or not you were a fan of theirs or not, you wanted to see them either win because they're this high level of orchestrated basketball or you want to see them lose because they're the villain, you know? So Brooklyn kind of had that going for them, but it's hard to stay healthy. Things happen. You get unlucky. Um, it's, it's unfortunate. It's fortunate we didn't get the most healthy teams just for the sake of a basketball pure seeing the best 15 guys play the best 15. I think overall the playoffs have been exceedingly interesting. I mean, you had an exciting series, a super exciting series with um, Brooklyn and Milwaukee, which was excellent. Um, You had a game seven in uh, Philly and Atlanta. You had big comebacks. You had, you know, great, you know, major moments like, you know, Terrence Mann going crazy against Utah, uh, and that was a big comeback. I, I think the NBA has to be pretty pleased with the product they've put on the court. All the bas- considered. Yeah, the basketball has been great. I mean, it, you, you see it from top to bottom, not to plug the G League, but Terrence Mann's a guy who spent time in the G League. It's great to see. He's not a guy who spent a lot of time, but anyone who has to go and work on development, they take something away from them, and he had – I couldn't get over watching that, especially that third quarter. I know that Clippers didn't seem to want to miss any shots in game seven. Um, the basket, yeah, the basketball has been great from a, just a fan standpoint. And we enjoy that a lot. Like it's fan, the fans are happy and their arenas are now filled COVID safe. And it was very loud in Phoenix today. I it was screaming for like half the day and no one could hear anything I was saying because it's so loud. That's what you want. You just want everyone happy. Shout out! Uh, I know we said we're not going to talk about the Knicks offseason, but shout out to the Knicks for uh, having an opportunity to get Terrence Mann in the Marcus Morris trade and just not doing, being like, ah, we're good here. Yeah, awesome. but realistically, how, Bang you job. Know, Terrence Mann, like, will we hear more from him next year? We'll see. Like, who knows? I think that you can't you can't write the story yet. Uh, you hope it's good for him because you want everyone to succeed, unless you're 
Aaron Tobin as that it's Kyrie Irving, but um, that's correct. That's correct. I never want him to succeed ever. You know, possible Terrence Mann at some point signs like a four-year, twenty-two million dollar deal. We never hear from him again. Like that's very likely as well. That this is true. Uh, so we just watched Philly and Atlanta game seven. Atlanta goes into Philadelphia, wins game five in unbelievable fashion, and then they come back and win game seven. We spoke about Atlanta a little bit earlier, so now we got to talk about Philly, right? Who's the number one seed? Was my pick to go to the finals before the playoffs started? Not great. There's a lot to talk about here. Um, what, what's the solution in Philadelphia? Do you start with the coach? Is Ben Simmons redeemable? Like, where are you going this offseason if you're Daryl Murray? Before I do that, I have to shout out our Let's Spare the Others chat because yes. I predict. I believe I was the only one who predicted a Milwaukee Phoenix final, which is looking very good right now. If, if you were to go back and look at it, this must've been weeks ago. Um, so now if I'm Philadelphia, cause I, I think a lot of people thought Philadelphia was going to get to the finals. Once they got matched up with Atlanta. Um, I, I don't think they're going to trade, but they're going to look into the trade market for Ben Simmons, but I just don't understand why they can't pull the best out of him. Cause it's clear. He's very, very talented. He might not be the best shooter, but he's not a zero. Like you watch a guy shoot in warmups, he's not like a dud. People speculate he's shooting with the wrong hand. That could totally be possible. It could be something, it could be a total mental barrier that once you unlock, you've now gotten to this next level of Ben Simmons dumb. Um, the problem is what happened in Philadelphia, what happened elsewhere, who knows? Um, but realistically, they're gonna look to trade him because it's Joel Embiid's team and they have good guards and maxi and Shake Milton's a good bench guy. Um, you know, they got Kirk Korkmaz, the best player in the league. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think realistically, they should be looking for any kind of supplemental guard help because they're kind of locked into that Tobias contract for another, at least another year, right? Possibly two. Yeah. He just, so, he just signed the big extension. The, the, they lost right, the, Jimmy the Butler two Horford. off seasons ago. So he signed that big four year yeah, deal then. Probably got. Yeah, they signed the same year as Horford. He's got two years left. Um, where do they go? I don't know. But what is what is the market for Ben Simmons now? He's definitely not in that James Harden conversation. No. So you'll see you'll see what they can do. Um, people would say they might be looking to get seventy five cents on the dollars for Ben Simmons, but if you can sell a team. Maybe, of, hold a, on one of, second. They'd be lucky to get 75% cents on the dollar. I mean, what, what is it? What's this dollar worth now? Well, because it doesn't it's do anything. from a non, he's still a star. So if you're moving him to a franchise, they'll, he'll sell tickets. Like he will really? sell merchants. Oh yeah, he will. At least for the first year. <laughs> like that's the thing in a, in a, in a team, let's say he goes somewhere. That's totally his team. Let's say he does go to Houston in the end it's going to be the Ben Simmons show. So he's going to have a good year. They might not do well, but it's more so if they wanted to send him to Houston and get Christian Wood to play alongside Embiid, something like along, something along those lines, which would probably be an interesting pairing Embiid and Wood. I, I think that'd be something worth looking into. I'm a big Christian Wood fan. I'm not um, sure Houston does that now. <laughs> that's it. Well, do they, from a basketball sense, maybe they maybe they don't want to do it, but they will sell more tickets with Ben Simmons headlining their team than Christian Wood, Kevin Porton Jr., and KJ Martin Jr. You can also see a world where that's a very good defensive team if you're playing Simmons and KJ Martin and whoever else, whoever they draft this year or in the first, you know, if they ended up with Evan Mobley or something. Like that's a that's a tough team to maybe possibly score against in two years. 
Um, I'm just saying they should be looking at a team that can kind of build around Ben Simmons or at least promote, but you, you're, you want to get your You think you can get the most for Ben Simmons, not on the basketball standpoint, but packaging Ben Simmons as a whole, as a personality, as someone who's going to carry your franchise one way or the other. It doesn't have to be as this basketball savior, but it'll get people in the stands. He'll make your owner money. He's going to sell merchandise. Um, that's how you kind of have to redeem his value a little bit. Cause you're right. Even if we're here talking about it, saying they won't want to do Christian Wood for Ben Simmons, that's, you're not going to get your return on the basketball end. You got to figure you got to, you got to pinpoint someone who you can sell a bill of goods to and be like, Hey, he can do this for your team. Even though are there, are there really, GMs really in the league, hold on. Are there GMs in the league that are honestly going to buy that crap? Well, they, some, some GMs in the league ultimately listen to their owner. That's that's the guy you got to find. Who's going to listen to their owner? Who's going to feel that pressure? I don't even think Tillman Fatita is that leveraged to think that Ben Simmons for Christian Wood is a good idea. Oh, he's definitely leveraged enough to do it. That's actually I don't think they would do it. It's more just an idea because how many friends like you can call up Sacramento and like what would Sacramento have to give up for Ben Simmons? Realistically, not much. And then you have a kind of an it, you you're not going to have a lot of shooting still, but you have. You could play some Simmons with Fox off ball um, with, you know, a lineup of Fox healed Simmons and bag. Maybe you send Bagley to, to, to Philadelphia, you know, that's kind of like a new, a new, uh, <coughs> a new destination, new surroundings could blossom both players. That That's the kind of deal you have to look for. It's more so how can you find the GM that's going to kind of feel the need, feel the heat to take on a guy like Simmons and his contract and his inability to shoot outside of five feet? How much sweetener would Philly have to add to call Portland for CJ McCollum? We'll have to add at least one first round pick. The problem is that's the thing. It's why I mean, that's wild oh. considering where Ben Simmons, value was to start the year and where it is now. I mean, it's crazy. No, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy to think it's, it's almost like a, not due to injury, but DeMarcus Cousins was a mass con- max contract guy in a span of two years due to injuries, unfortunately, became, you know, a veteran minimum, veteran, veteran guy like that. Like, you saw him play for the Clippers today. He, he showed a little you- slow today. <laughs> yeah, he's still slow. He can't really do too much. He still fouls a lot. Like, he has the same Cousins problems, but with the age on him. You know, if Simmons doesn't figure out how to score the basketball consistently and hit above 55% of his foul shots in the playoffs, he's going to go from one of these max guys to a guy who's going to become an afterthought. And you know, he doesn't want that. He, and he's got to be well aware. of it. There's probably this. And I would hope there's nobody more well aware of it than Ben Simmons. The problem is we don't know what these guys thinks. We don't know what, what these guys think. We don't know who surrounds them. What voice, what, who are their voices of reason? Um, I expect to see Ben Simmons in the gym a lot. Like you see everyone in the gym a lot, but specifically working on there, there's no reason he shouldn't be in a gym this offseason only working on his mid-range jump shooting and foul shooting. There's zero reason. Will he do it? He's on the he just finished the first year of uh, of his Mac extension. So now Doc Rivers. Let's let's talk about him for a second. Please. Beloved guy around the league. Very well respected, but a guy who sports three of the worst playoff collapses, you know, since the turn of the century. I know he just signed a big deal, but if you're Philadelphia, 
How serious are you about, you know, pulling the Stan Van Gundy move and being like, ah, see you later, man? Because this, I, how much more do you have to see from Doc Rivers to realize that, like, if he's not coaching Kevin Garnett, like, shit ain't happening. Yeah, no, that Celtics team did a lot to, and his coaching staff did a lot to shore up his flaws as a coach. I mean, I remember. I'm Thibodeau. Yeah, and then when Tibbs left and you still had, um, a less talented Celtics roster and Doc and whoever his other assistants were still running the same defensive sets with different personnel. And they were terrible on defense. They were just awful. Um, like he had Glenn Davis doing the same stuff Garnett was doing to protect the rim when Garnett went out. Like you kind of have to adjust on the fly. The, the year that Garnett went out against uh, when they lost the Magic in the playoffs, you can't do the same defensive schemes as you have when you have Kevin Garnett. You, you, it's just not going to work. It's just, you know, um, so he's not a big adjuster. I don't think that will cost him his job because for most of the year and for most of the playoffs, what, what they were in, at least they, what they did worked. They just, they really struggled to adjust to anything drastic. Like uh, he, he was taking Simmons out at the end of games for the most part, which was the right thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do to take your quote unquote star player out of games. But the problem was there, they, they, I found them running a lot of things for Seth Curry, which is fine, but, everything should originate with Embiid getting the ball 10 feet from the hoop late in games. Like there's no reason not to. Yeah. I, but I, you know, come on, you understand as a big guy with the spacing, the way it is, it's just like you, you've played you still, the post your entire life. Yeah. But you, you still got to start there and work. That's the thing. That's you. I don't mind. You start there. You don't finish there. You know, you want your most talented player to have the ball in your hands and offense for as long as they can. And honestly, that might be a better way to get Seth, Seth Curry open than all these wacky like out of bounds plays where he's running around these screens against guys bigger than him and just not able to get free and and when you I just don't think there's enough I don't think Doc did enough poorly toward him losing his job after year one um, because he's going to have the built in Ben Simmons excuse I think I think he's got at least another I would say he has two years of leash two years. All- well, that's assuming they do better next year, right? The assumption is they do – the bar is low. They just have to get to the conference finals next year. They don't have to, they don't have to win the conference finals. And, and it's not like the East is this burgeoning conference of talent. Like Chicago's going to stink no matter who they trade for. The Knicks, who knows what they'll be like next year. And Boston, there's just a lot, there's a lot of question marks outside of those top four or five teams. Yeah, but Brooklyn and Milwaukee aren't going anywhere. That's very true, but how how good is Milwaukee? Oh, <laughs> they shouldn't. Target, they shouldn't necessarily be in the conference finals. So, can Philadelphia beat them? Yeah, I don't see why not. Especially if they're better than they were this past year. I mean, there's gonna there's gonna be a whole off season of moves. We don't know who's gonna add, and you could see if if, if Maxie's a real guy, he'll be better next year. Milwaukee doesn't have a lot of young players. No, no, are, they don't. And they leveraged a lot of picks in the holiday trade. Right. So who's getting better on that team except for maybe DiVincenzo? Like, that's about it. Philly, Embiid could even get better as good as he was if he plays more and doesn't miss any games. He's a better player. Um, And they got a couple – they have a couple interesting guys uh, along the bench. Like, Shake Milton. I think Shake Milton's got to play more, to be honest. He's. I think he's a little underrated. They don't use him enough. He's kind of a guy who can score without a play being made for him, but he has the skills to score. He should, if he's going to play 20 minutes a game, he should score 10 points a game. I just don't like how they used him in the playoffs. 
Um, especially considering a team that struggled to score from the perimeter. They didn't seem very interested in, in letting other guys have the ball as much. Yeah, but the X's and O's with Doc and the rigidness of his of his rotations uh, is just it's inexcusable. It's inexcusable. If I'm a listen, I'm not a Philly fan, but like I'd go crazy if I had to watch this for another two years. If you're doing the same thing over and over again, hey, I watched it, nuts. Watched it for I don't even know how many years, six years, five years, and. You know, we got spoiled. Yeah, early. but he won a title. So it's like, he, I mean, I'm also I'm of the belief that if unless Milwaukee wins the finals, I fire Budenholzer the day after they're eliminated. Because it's the same thing. It's the same garbage you see with them year in, year in and year out and even game in and game out. Like I, I, I spoke about it on the monologue, but even last even last night where they played such a clean game seven. There's still stretches of two to three minutes where they play so dumb on offense, so incredibly dumb. And the fact that he refused to, he, he would sooner let Drew Holiday be the primary defender on Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's seven feet. Drew Holiday, as great of a defender as he is, he's 6'3". It's like shooting over a chair, like, Put Giannis on him for a stretch. Like, what are we doing here? Well, Giannis was exhausted. I don't know if you could put Giannis on him. I you get that, but for, a str- but for a stretch in the second quarter? For I don't know. three minutes? I think you're better off. I think Drew probably actually is a, is a good – I mean, Drew actually was pretty good at the end of the game. I believe he was on Garnett for his air ball. He's also on Garnett for the game Durant, time. Durant, Durant. So, you're yeah, right, Durant, Garnett. Same guy, <laughs> uh, Durant for that two he hit to to tie the game, but that was a tough that was, shot. That was Tucker actually. Tucker drew that assignment. So it's not like Tucker was doing. Have, it's not like Tucker had all this great success against Durant either. I mean, he had the game one or game two where he wasn't getting called for any fouls and seemed to have a nice have a nice time with Durant. Um, but Drew's probably you don't want to expend your best offensive player and probably your best rebounder as well. Remember, this is a Milwaukee team who's who's seven foot one center grabs five rebounds a game. So you need Giannis to kind of clear up the boards. He's got a lot going on there. Uh, it's tough. It's tough to, it's, it is a lot to ask of a guy who's essentially doing it all for you to also guard the best offensive player in the world, even for a four minute stretch. I understand, but like they, they posted, when, the when they, made it quarter, the they posted the Kevin Durant three times, four times. He had, Three turnaround jumpers. He made three or four turnaround jumpers. Like, at a certain point, like, come on. Yeah, I understand the frustration, but you can't – it's a team game. You can't just expect Giannis to fix everything. You can put Giannis on him. It doesn't mean he's going to stop him. No, but it's doing something different. It's doing they, something different and not getting the same different. result because you saw Drew get – Drew's only 6'3". Yeah, but he's very good. He's very physical. He's top half, and he's like he's very sturdy. You don't really move him a lot with your back, especially Garnett. Garnett Duncan, Duncan, Jesus Christ! I'm living in 2003. Uh, Durant, who was like 110 pounds soaking wet, um, you know, to move him, and he's he's very good with his hands. He's kind of similar to Tucker in that regard, where you're not going to move him, and you're also you're not going to you're not going to swing the ball up on him without at least being in discomfort. So when you take a you take a shot over him, but you are making it a little more difficult. Am I saying Giannis would do a better job? Not wouldn't do a better job. Of course not. Durant scored forty points in game plus forty points in two games in the series and was dynamic the entire time. But 
Yeah, you got to play both ends of the ball. You're you, these people; these guys are human. You can't expect them to do it. They, they're not. They're not Superman. Not, I mean, why didn't Durant? Did Durant guard Middleton on every key possession late in the game? No. Why not? Well, because I, I think Dur- I think Durant was. I mean, Durant guarded Giannis on a key possession. It doesn't matter. There are key possessions where Middleton was. The, they actually, I think what Milwaukee did well at the end of games was they didn't just feed the ball to Giannis and expect him to just run out the hoop or take jumpers. They let Middleton and Holiday have the ball at the end of games, which made things a little more difficult for Brooklyn. But realistically, who would you rather have guarding Middleton, Durant, or almost, I wouldn't even, Bruce Brown or, you know, James Harden? No, you, Durant's their best defender. Durant, when healthy, yep. is the top. I think Durant, when healthy, is the top five defender in the league. Like, He's a guy who's exceptional on defense, but he's not he's not Clark Kent. I hear you. I, I, Jordan, I just, Jordan didn't guard everyone in the last in, the, in every key possession. No, but when push comes when push came to shove, like he would just he would do it. Like that no, was Pippen, it. They would let Pippen do it. Pippen did a plan. You could say Pippen's all world defensively, sure, but if you want the best guy on the other best guy, you put Jordan on him. I, I guess I just I, I Bud is another guy who's a lot like Doc Rivers, where there's a lot of stubbornness. And Tom Thibodeau's kind of like this a little bit too, except he didn't have the horses that the other two guys had in terms of talent. Tom Thibodeau's uh, stop playing guys 40 minutes a game and understand that they're not gonna like Randall looked as as bewildered as he did in the playoffs, he looked exhausted. Derrick Rose looked exhausted. Like I, these guys. I, no, I, I, I get it. I get it. And and Tibbs Max is out in the regular season. I get it. He also, also, I mean, it took him how many, how long for him to sit Alfred Payton? Like, it's just, you know, there are certain guys and Doc is like that and Bud is like that, that they're, that they don't change on the fly very well. I think and in the playoffs, you got to do that. I think Bud changed more this, uh, this playoffs than, people think about because the result wasn't pretty like it wasn't like oh they went they they took a a Brooklyn team led by a a very focused Kevin Durant and they beat them in seven games and with the seventh game being on the road like they they don't do that without minor tweaks at the end of games I think a little letting alone the, the stuff they ran for Middleton at the end they don't run too much ISO stuff for Middleton throughout games. And they would do that towards the end. And it, it kind of worked out for them. I'd, I'd love to see what his stats were shooting at the end of games, but with the exception of actually game seven, where everyone was missing in overtime and at the end of, you know, well, Middleton mostly- got hot late. I mean, he started out two for 12. Yeah. But but it was- I don't know. Milwaukee just takes so, so many dumb shots. Yeah. I mean, Milwaukee's offense isn't exactly, you know, poetry in motion, but it's also because the pieces are, perfect it's like they're this super team they're they're good they're a pretty good team they're not like they're not a 60 win juggernaut you know they didn't come in first this year in the in the conference they really i think what they have a, they have a stigma because they were so dominant in the eastern conference last year the same thought was gonna it's just gonna roll the over year before yeah but i think that sigma was just gonna roll over but the eastern conference was also deeper this year you didn't have a 40 you didn't have a 40 something win Knicks team to contend with you didn't even have the uh, like you can go to any team as good as the Celtics were two years ago. They were still a viable threat. They still played Milwaukee. Well, I think they beat them early in the year on some Tatum bank three. Like it would, there was more of a night to night thing where a team in the East could actually beat a top team in the East against each other. It wasn't like you have these eight teams you could roll through. 
Yeah. Well, anyway, to bring it back to Philly, they can't run this group back. They will not. They can't. You can't do it. Even if you lose a trade, you can't do it because your fan base will erupt. The only way they run this back is if we see Ben Simmons taking jumpers in the gym all offseason and the first three games of the, if he's not traded, if we see him taking, I'd be, I'd love to live in a world where we see him take seven to 10 jump shots a game. I'd love to see what that's like. Even if they don't go in, I want, I want to see what it's like. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I was pay, a guy. You dribble into the lane and dribble it back out. I mean, that's what he's doing essentially. Yeah. I, I think you and I were both of the camp that Philly shouldn't trade for James Harden. And I'm not a James Harden guy. But, like, James Harden would have helped this Sixers team. No, I, I was of the camp probably not to trade for him, not from a basketball sense, just because of a personality. Like, I just don't think he meshes well, and he seemed like a little more of a wild card off the court. Um, right. But, like, if you're looking at them before the season, like, who should, who should, who's better for a basketball team in a vacuum? Even if you're not building from scratch, you can throw them onto any basketball team. It's going to be James Harden. Uh, yeah, the, that's for sure. But it, what was the price? And we both thought not to trade for him, you know, not to include Simmons. And, and maybe that was a missed opportunity. I don't know. But they, they can't definitely was back. I mean, if Brooklyn will cut run back next year, they'll we'll see what interesting. I'm always curious to see what interesting veterans they pluck to join them. They'll lose Dinwiddie, but I don't think that will matter. Um, Small potatoes. So, we'll, you know, Philly has to really figure out their stuff if they want to contend with what could be that, like, Brooklyn, Golden State, Brooklyn being on that Golden State level of regular season dominant team. We could see a team that wins. Let's say all three of these guys are healthy next year and they play 40 games together. This is, again, them healthy playing 40 games together where they go 32 and eight. Um, yeah, they got They have a year to figure it out. But I, I still think Docs has a little more leeway just because they're, 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 they're not going to rebuild anytime soon. So they're, they're not going to find a coaching fit unless Doc is tired of it. The only way I see Doc leaving is if he's after next year, if he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. This didn't work. I'm out. A mutual parting of ways, as they say. Yeah, that's garbage. It's never mutual. Uh, okay. You so Believe it or not, it is. I thought that as well, but it is it is mutual in, in certain respects. Very. It's a, I know. Trust me. I always Very infrequent. Very infrequent. It only takes one. It only takes one. That's true. You're right. Uh, we'll we'll let you go on this because you've been exceedingly gracious with your time, considering you're uh, away. Let's go. Um, I I know, but uh, still, no, still, you've been exceedingly gracious, and it's always good to catch up. Uh, predictions for the conference finals and the finals. What do you got? I can't see a Phoenix team with Chris Paul losing more than one game at home. So I got. I have to pick. Am I giving specific games? Can I do whatever I want? No, no, no. just te- teams to advance and, and who's going to be the NBA champion. Well, I'm going specific. I'm going to go Phoenix in five. Okay. Just assuming Chris Paul plays game two. Um, otherwise, I'll just What's say. What's the Phoenix. latest with that? Have you heard anything? No, I won't. I won't know until the public knows. Mm-hmm. That's nothing I ever get any in, inside information on. Um, but even if he, let's say he misses game two, then I'll just pick Phoenix generally, six or seven. And then I think we'll get we'll get Milwaukee in six. That that's what I like too. So I think we'll get we'll get my. I like Milwaukee to win it. I like Phoenix to win it. They they just seem 
they seem poised. They, there was a, definitely a chance. I've been around a, in, I've been around teams in my professional career that in both baseball and basketball that have been to the championship and not won, and been to the championship and won. And they seem, they seem ready. It's just a matter of execution. Interesting. I, as as Charles Barkley said on TNT, said the Milwaukee Bucks are going to win the title, but they still play exceedingly dumb a lot. And I, I couldn't agree with him more. I just. So if they lose, if they if they win the finals, then do you still fire Bud? <laughs> no, you, you no, you can't because the PR would be a mess. But I think if they lose in the finals, you can fire him. Oh no, you can't. You can't lose it. You can't fire him. We've seen that before. The it's Lakers not, did that in the seventies to yeah, bring was, um, what's his name in Bill Sharman. Because that was a Magic Johnson decision. That wasn't a team. Decision. No, that, that was before Magic Johnson. Bill Sharman was? was hired by the Lakers after after the um the Lakers had, lost the title in seventy and seventy one. So they lost back to back years. I think something like that, but I think they fired the coach after one season of going to the finals. I'm sure that was a little more to do probably with less basketball related and more personality related. That would be my guess. And also, uh, by the way, just because it's happened once, so I was thinking of when Magic Johnson, they had a great year with, uh, with, um, I don't Al know. Who the coach. Yeah. And they got, he got him fired. It's not like he was a bad coach. He just didn't want him around. Like that's how it works. If a player doesn't want him around, that guy's gone. As we talked about it earlier. So I think I'm sure there were other issues with Bill Sharman and the Lakers in the seventies that got him fired. You don't hear about that with Bud. You don't hear any of the players talking about he shouldn't be the guy. Well, right? now that Rick Carlisle's out there, coach Bud's got to get his shit together. I think if they get, if they lose in the finals, he'll, he'll be okay. I'm not, I'm not worried about him. There are plenty of jobs. There are plenty of jobs for Rick Carlisle and there's, there's only there's only one way to go for Bud. If you're, that's progression. I mean, then he's you know you, you got him to the as far as the finals. Let's say they get even if they lose in the conference finals this year, it's it's a progression for Bud. Let's let's see if he can at least give him give him the credit of getting to the finals before you ask the guy. Thank you for your service. On to the next. Jeez, he's living this. What have you done for me lately? Take it. Take that. That's too a serious. sport. Is what have you done for me lately? But anyway. Anyway, um, Phil. If that, if that was what sports were, the Red Sox wouldn't have Alex Cora as their manager and be in first place. Oh, well, now second place. But wouldn't it be a, much better than they should be? Whatever. I don't want to talk about Turn that this. franchise around by not cheating, hopefully, this year. Or by cheating again but not getting caught. Either way, they're doing a lot better. <laughs> I don't want to talk about baseball right now. Phil, this was wonderful. Thank you very much. I'm going to have to have you back on because I want, I'm exceedingly interested about the, uh, the first year of the team ignite with the G league. We're going to talk about that another time, but uh, this was great to catch up, man. Yeah. Enjoy no I will. I'll be at game two and then I'll off to LA. Awesome. I'll speak to you soon, man. Thanks so much. Thanks again to my good buddy, Mr. Philip Baus, uh, excellent recurring guest talking all things NBA playoffs. A lot to talk about, a lot to digest in this episode, really a fire episode. And always great to catch up with Phil. Didn't really want to talk about the Red Sox because I don't like the Red Sox and the Yankees aren't really great right now, even though they've been a little 
a little bit better than the last couple of weeks. But anyway, I should say the last week. Anyway, that's episode 116. An absolutely jam-packed episode. Take us out, Jermaine. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play. And we ride on them things like every day. Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming. And parties don't stop till 8 in the morning. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play. And we ride on them things like every day. Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming. And parties don't stop till 8 in the morning. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play and we ride on them things like every day big beats hit streets see gangsters roaming and parties don't stop till eight in the morning welcome to atlanta where the players play and we ride on them things like every day big beats hit streets see gangsters roaming and parties don't stop till eight in the morning thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.